Yowza, 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 indeed. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Matt Kennedy, one half of the Five Films From podcast here. Wanted to take a second today before Todd and I get started on the episode to say thanks for listening. And to ask that if you've been enjoying the show, make sure you like, subscribe, and maybe even leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Doing that's going to really help us to connect with more movie-loving listeners just like you. Also, we wanted to give y'all an update on some of the stuff we're working away on for Season 2. Got a lot of good episodes lined up real soon. For example, uh, Todd's currently editing our two-part season premiere on five films from... It's actually going to be ten films from the two-part, or we're going to be doing Brian De Palma. We'll also be gonna getting into some more idiosyncratic stuff with guys like Stuart Rosenberg and Larry Cohen, as well as you know real Hollywood legends like Robert Altman and fan favorites like John Landis and Tony Scott. Again, be sure to subscribe so you can be among the first to hear all of our newest five films from content as soon as it drops. Totally. Lastly, if you're still listening, <laughs> be sure to be on the lookout for our upcoming Patreon feed. We'll be offering all kinds of bonus episodes, things like double features, commentary tracks, etc. 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 And special things like five films from directors who have only made one film and five films from the 70s disaster movie genre. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of things lined up, good things on the horizon for FFF. And yeah, that's all I got for you. Enjoy the show. With Mac Kennedy and Todd Edmondson. We're doing five films from Sir John Borman today, uh, British director, only the second director we've done who is alive. And we're starting with 1967's Point Blank. Marvin, uh, Danji Dickinson, Keenan Wynn, Carol O'Connor. It's adapted from a novel called The Hunter mm. by Donald A. Westlake, writing as Richard Stark. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. And I didn't a, know it was a Westlake story. Yeah, I and it's you. actually, there's a lot of Westlake stories with this character that have been adapted into movies, um, but they changed the name. The name, I think, is like Hunter in real life. Yeah, um, instead of What's his name in here is Walker, but in the books, his name is Parker. Okay. And there's a movie with Mel Gibson called Payback, which is kind of the same as this, but he changes his name to something else, like Porter. And there's a Jim Brown movie where Jim Brown plays this character as oh, well, wow. and, but the name is something different. Yeah, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, that's all stuff that I recently found out. Cool. Yeah, there you go. This movie, though, pretty great. Pretty great, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. Is the second time I watched it. Yeah, me too. I think I've, uh, I think, and each time I think, you know, this is just like a wonderfully surreal uh, adventure where you're not really sure totally what's real and what isn't, um, or, or, or who's really, 
Uh, you know what's you know what's happening. You can see what's happening, but why is it happening? And you have your suspicions that that it's a fever dream or a whole a mass hallucination of somebody who died or was killed already. What she uh, says right in the beginning when he wakes up. Uh, so it starts out with like a just gunshot right yeah with it's like a weird red image of lee marvin and then a gunshot at alcatraz and it says lee marvin point blank and uh then from there you see kind of flashbacks of how he got shot and left for dead in alcatraz and he even says like did it happen a dream yeah, he's yeah. not even sure himself. Yeah, uh, that uh, the bad guy is John Vernon. That's his first John, movie. Yeah, he's, introducing uh, John Vernon. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was uh, Dean Vernon Wormer. Yeah. Yep. Then, as of this moment, they're on double secret probation. Uh, and is the House. the mayor and Dirty Harry? I don't want any more trouble like you had last year in the Fillmore District. Understand? That's my policy. Just a, a real uh, dipshit. Classic, always a, a like authority figure dipshit. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. He, but he's just an evil, just yeah. an evil kind of a Mal Reese. It's it's funny because crime stories are always there's always there's always criminals and then there's always somebody above them and then mm. there's even somebody above that somebody and, and there's always this hierarchy and there's that. always like a guy who is ostensibly the best friend of the main guy who <laughs> fucking turns around and betrays him right off the bat yeah, and that's what happens yeah. here with this character. Mal Reese. I want to talk to you, Walker. It's important. Come on, Walker. Come on. What? Now you listen to me, Walker. I need your help. Don't you understand? I need your help. What are you doing? Walker, they use the prison. You know, it's closed. We just wait. We wait till they get it. And then we take it from them. You're my friend, Walker. My friend. I can't make it on my own. Help my friend. Trust me! Trust me! What are we doing? What are we doing here? Come on. I owe a bundle to some guys, Walker. I tell you, they're going to kill me if I don't get it. They're going to kill me if I don't get it, Walker. They're going to kill me. We just hit him on the head and that's it. It's simple. We just knock him on the head and that's it. Uh, They rip off, like, the... Bunch of money changing hands from, like, these criminals organization, and they, they're trying to rob them because John Vernon was in debt to these guys already. Right. And there ended up not being enough money to to take care of it while also paying Lee Marvin. So he ends up stealing Lee Marvin's money. And shooting him. And shooting him. And stealing his wife also. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. That's just the first couple minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when they're first shown... Um, like the very first flashback you see from Lee Marvin after that opening gunshot is is John Vernon like walking into this weird room was just like full of guys that I, it, it reminded me of like a bar in the Yaba it is like <laughs> yeah, all this, yeah, like, yeah. just totally wall to wall just wall to wall suits yeah, yeah. wall to wall suits like these, these these executive types but they're uh, like really hammered and Lee Marvin's yeah. like barely standing up at one point he falls down <laughs> and John Vernon gets on top of him and, and, and you me. know Lee is hammered yeah, yeah, in real yeah, life I know absolutely <laughs> a real drinker is. yeah <laughs> oh man yeah, that's a really wild scene because bizarre uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it just looks like it looks like a bunch of madmen after work it jammed in this room, and then and John Varner's, you gotta help me. I love you. And it was kind yeah. of pinned to the ground, yelling in his face. It's really like intense stuff. Bizarre, yeah. But that's like, you know, we, we can. That's his getting him on board with this robbery that ends up becoming a double cross, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, 
and when Lee Marvin wakes up saying, is this a dream? And, and it shows him swimming from Alcatraz. Well, and as they have, like, an announcer on a tour boat. In 1937, two prisoners actually got off the island because of the dense fog and strong tides. It is assumed that they were washed out to sea. There has never been a trace of them found. You just see, like, <laughs> Lee Marvin is suit looking cool, Lee Marvin, like, on the boat. He's on a tour boat, yeah. when, and Keenan Wynn, that's yep. the first time you see him. He's a very mysterious character. Who... He's down to get the organization. You want Greece? The governor of California. And I want the organization. Workman was supposed to establish flight. You understand? Island ...to afford protection to the ships and small vessels. I'm going to help you. And you're going to help me. I think he. I think he's a. a, I think he's supposed to be maybe a government guy, an FBI guy, or somebody. He's watching the organization, but he. It's never really clear, right? But he's like he's showing up and just kind of like giving Lee Marvin hints as stuff goes along. Yeah, they're trying. You know, they're both trying to get the same guy. Lee Marvin wants to get Reese, who who betrayed him, but Keenan Wynn wants to get the organization that which is bigger than Reese part of yeah and lee marvin just wants his money through yeah. the whole movie i want my money i want my 93 grand i, I really want my money i want my money that's all I and want. there's cool moments where he'll say that repeatedly and like you know by the time he says it to carol o'connor at the end of the movie it's like the fourth time he said it and it'll flash back to all the previous times yeah just like every time he punches or shoots somebody like it'll flash back to all the previous times like Almost like that's his, like the cumulative effect of all that violence and destruction on his brain, like coming back every time. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really good. Yeah, Yeah. visceral shit. Yeah, Um, yeah. And the first thing he does is he goes to his wife's apartment. Right, gets the address Um, from Keenan Wynn, and he walks through the airport. They Walker keep going and going walking. and going at Walker's Walking. Yeah, and it is like... This, and the yeah. footsteps go on past that scene into... It bleeds into the other it scene. turns into almost like score, like emphasizing how ominous this is. Yeah, it's yeah. For. It's really and, cool. And when he gets to his wife's apartment, that entire sequence with his wife, his ex-wife, or I guess it is his wife, it, that's really strange because she's... He bursts in... And he goes in, he bursts into the bedroom and shoots the bed. There's nobody Assuming there. Assuming that Reese is there. Right. Yeah. And he's not. And, um, yeah, then the wife later on is not there. Well, because she kills herself. Right, but then it's never really explained. Yeah, she commits suicide. That's yeah. right. There's pills, but it's never really. I guess he just don't show the part where he gets rid of the body or something. I mean, it's, she's just it's not It's quite there. strange. Yeah, he walks into a room. She's there. He walks out of the room into like the hallway or whatever, and then walks back in, and she's not there, and the bed is all stripped of whatever. It's it's just and it's kind of like, but it's got bullet holes in it. Bullet, yeah. yeah, I think it's and like just he a makes sort a wreck of, of the bathroom. Bizarre he, like time compression. He's looking thing. for I guess yeah. he's looking for the guy stuff. He's looking for Reese's stuff. There's got to be guy stuff in the bathroom if he lives right. here, and there isn't any. Right. It's just all women's stuff. He's knocking it all down, and there's a surreal moment after she's gone where he's looking in the bathtub, and, and it's, it's all these weird colors, multicolored. Yeah, like the whatever product that he. Smashed. Yeah, he smashed really some kind wild. of thing. And Keenan Wynn is out in the parking lot just yeah. kind of watching the window and waiting for her. And he's got the door boarded up, and his delivery guy shows up. 
some 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 delivery guy right. shows up with a, with because with that's money. Mal supposedly paying her off. Mal left. She Mal was done right, with her right. in the interim. Who right. knows how long it was? Like yeah. Is it, yeah, and and he's just been paying her off. And Lee Marvin intercepts this guy who's paying her off, and he's like, "Only Miss Walker," they said. Only Miss Walker, they said. I uh, gotta call them. You gotta call them. No, can't. You can't because they'll kill me. They'll kill you. Uh, Big John will kill me. Big John? John Stegman. Big John's car lot. This guy's got a car lot. This car dealer who's like a really funny character. <laughs> he He's is just ultra sleazy. Uh, Stegman, and that actor is Michael Strong. I don't, I haven't seen him in anything else, but he's basically a car dealer who like works for these gangsters and is just really bad at everything. <laughs> he just keeps fucking up. Lee Marvin comes in and uh, takes a test drive in this beautiful real horn white Imperial. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, big great big old whale of a yeah, car. Yeah, and uh, just destroys it as a means of interrogating him. Right? Yeah, 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 it's Which really is cool. Sort of They're... like in the uh, the driver with Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that. he's doing these awful yeah. donuts under this underpass, and smashing into the but- abutments and and really wreck fucking the guy up and he finally you know he finally says i know about you walker how's your wife she's dead and the sister chris what about her she's released now he nailed both sisters how does that grab you Where's Chris? She runs a truck. A place called the Movie House. He he tells him about Angie Dickinson and said she's also with Mal, so find right, her. Right, when yeah. Angie is his wife's sister, sister yeah, uh-huh. and she hates Mal too. Uh, you know, yeah. she, she but Mal like sort of has eyes on her, and that's what the car dealer revealed. Yeah, so. well, if if I was him, I'd have yeah. eyes on Angie too. <laughs> what what about the scene before they test drive the car, and he's just like trying to creep on the other the, yeah, uh, the yeah. other salesman's like lady? Yeah, yeah. a real horn dog. <laughs> Crazy. Oh God! Yeah. yeah, it's really crazy, and so that that leads to uh, that also leads to the 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 guy Mal works for. Right. Well, he goes to a club to find Angie. Right. And then there's like a scene where he beats up some people in the back of this club because Big John sent some people there. He's there. Big John is there. That's right. And some other people are too. And Lee Marvin's fighting these guys backstage, and it's intercut with this guy going. Get out! Get I was meant to yeah. look him up because uh, if he's got any albums out there, I want to hear him. He, uh, he's got a Wikipedia and it's page, all, yeah. and, and it's all that kind of rock and roll, rear screen, uh, you know, uh, um, projection stuff, oils, and, and you see lights like people and behind like screens, which you, mm-hmm. know, you see a lot of reflection stuff and mirror stuff all over John Borman's movies. Yeah, he a lot loves of optical stuff. effects. Yeah, and he really uses them really effectively. It's cool stuff. So Stu Gardner's most um, well-known collaboration is the theme song for the Cosby Show. No kidding. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> 
that's what that's what we got. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Good for him. Yep. So yeah, that's a that's that's a big badass fight scene. Um and 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 Lee goes back to to, to uh well, her name is Chris, Angie Dickinson's right. apartment, and 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 and, and they were also in Chris uh, the Killers. About. Yeah, yes. that's right. Playing a very similar character, Lee is at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of a mercenary, uh-huh. single-minded. Uh, he doesn't give a shit he about wants anybody. His money. He wants yeah. his money. Yeah. I want my money. You know, he gets involved with Angie, but Angie's a she's on pills too, and she hates her job, she hates her life, and she hates Reese. I heard you're running with Reese. Well, you heard it wrong. Does he want you? Sure he does. Do you want him? He makes my flesh crawl. I want him. You were always the best thing about Lynn. Why don't you want him? I don't want any of them, Walker. So it kind of gets to the point where, where Walker convinces Chris to get into Reese's apartment. He's in this big penthouse apartment with all these guards, these goon guys uh, who were always leading her up. And he get he Walker convinces her to go upstairs and uh, and and she gets in bed with him and it's really he's so oily and awful, man. He just, it's just he's wearing a really funny like short sleeve sweater thing. Yeah, yeah it looks really like, really I, I funny. Know, yeah, it wasn't even a robe. It and was really creepy. I think they're both in this like weird mustard yellow in that in that <laughs> yeah, scene. Yeah, you know, John Borman is really the colors in his movies are so distinctive. You know, we'll talk. Hell in the Pacific, you see that too. Yeah, a lot I, of really just vibrant colors. Yeah, I yeah. agree. This whole apartment is just super swanky seventies. Yeah. Mirrors uh, everywhere too. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. And the, all these big long drapes and and uh, so with with her there, Lee Marvin manages to get up on the roof and get rid of some of the goons. Get rid of their guns without even showing it. Like it just yeah, yeah the it's goons just are gone. He's there. Yeah. yeah. There is a lot of there is a lot of time compression. Or not time compression so much as it's just like well, if things just appear and it's disappear. So heavily, and, the way it moves is so heavily influenced by like the French New Wave and that style of editing. I and agree, things are yeah. kind of like instead of moving in straight lines, they move in diagonal lines, and, but they're still kind of like moving in a single direction. Yeah, yeah, things happen like they pop up and they pop in and out and up and down and, and you but you you know just from the motion of the movie like where it's going. It's not really hard to follow necessarily, but it right. is like I think on purpose. It it creates this feeling of like on edge and kind of like you know you're you're uh, topsy turvy and shit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did that of, happen? Yeah, and, and but it happened, so I got to go on to the next happening. And you and, think uh, about 1967. You know, everybody says Bonnie and Clyde was the movie that brought that style of editing to American movies. This movie came a year before. Mm. Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, well, the cool thing about this movie is that Lee Marvin insisted on working with John Borman. Um, yeah. Uh, and gave him and said, I want him to have control over everything. Because they met, they both thought the novel was kind of not great, but they liked the character of Walker. So they just like came up with a lot of concepts and reworked it. And Lee had full creative control. He was an Oscar winning star at this point. And then he just told the studio, I give it to John Borman and walks out. And John's standing there. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, except with the British accent. <laughs> and Borman had not done 
anything in America up a, to that did point. You just did a movie with the Dave Clark Five. Well, we, I movie? did. Yeah, what's um, that about? I was looking for this film so I could watch it, and on TCM, which I record everything on TCM, by the way, and I you should do. Um, they, I found uh, under John Borman, it's like, what the hell is a wild weekend with the Dave Clark Five? So that's the first, that was his first movie. I know, I know. And before that, he was a BBC documentarian. He was a documentary filmmaker for the BBC. Roots in early television, like a lot of our friends. Exactly. And how how he made the leap, uh, Lee Marvin from Dave Clark Five has got to be a story and a half. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I love this movie. And and it's very, it's very intense scene where he's got Reese... Yeah. He's got Reese in his apartment. He gets up on the roof, gets rid of the goons. He's got it's just he and Reese and Angie. Then the background completely nude, by the way. Yeah, uh, getting dressed and um, so Reese ends up. You realize? Whoops. Well, you realize that Reese cannot pay him. Like he's not. Right. He doesn't have the money to right. pay him. Yeah, he just he's going to lead the organization. The... My money, Val. I haven't got it. I give it all to the organization. And who has it? There's no one man. If you go high enough, there's always one man. No, it's not like that. It's a big operation. <laughs> Names, Mal. Names. Fairfax. And then Reese, whoops, goes off the roof. Uh, and, um, yeah. Uh, That's like halfway through the movie. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, no it was, longer, he, you know, getting Reese was, it was sort of like futile because nothing, you know, th- there was no no end to his quest there. Right, right. Uh, so now he's got to just keep. It was, kinda, it was kind of clever how Walker got in. Besides getting uh, Angie upstairs, Walker goes to the building across the street and he has two gay guys, I guess, yeah, tie themselves a, up yeah. and, and call like, the police while he's there. And Please, for God's sakes, hurry up! Is that all right? That was fine, thank you. It's yeah, like, uh, he just created this weird yeah. diversion with these two gay I guys. I guess in, in, their the, in the book, he goes up in there and has a confrontation with a woman and accidentally kills her and then calls the cops and says, There's been a murder and then dips. Oh, wow. I don't, I mean, I don't, I didn't read the book, so I don't know exactly what was supposed to happen, but he ends up accidentally killing a woman to make that distraction. And I guess Lee Marvin and John Borman were like, Fuck that. Like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Let's just create a distraction. Yeah, and, and it ends up being really funny because he's like, Obviously invaded these guys' house, but he's like <laughs> real kind of calm and nice. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he's telling him what to say yeah. to the cops. Yeah, it's really funny. And the guys are like, uh, Lee Marvin says, "Okay, tie yourselves up." He's like, oh, like this? Yes, yes, you did fine. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah, 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 it was funny. But the next step up the criminal chain after Walker is this guy named Fred Carter, played by a Canadian actor, Lloyd Bachner, mm-hmm. who's in a ton of things. Yeah. What the hell are you fooling around with now, Reese? There's a lot at stake, Mr. Carter. That's why I came to you. That's where I must... Must? There's no must about it. I'd be grateful for anything you could do, Mr. Carter. Get trouble, Reese. I've always thought so. His character is in this, like, corporate office, and did you see... When Mal and then later when Lee Marvin go to that office, the the tree on the wall. Yeah. It, like North Dallas 40. Yeah, right? yeah, the yeah. exact same yeah, kind of yeah. business tree. Right, right, yeah, right. I thought yeah. that was so funny. That's right. I noticed that yeah. too. That was really cool. Yeah. Uh, it's that's that's the uh and i'm at the top yeah you know? I, I had it's like holy shit that's just <laughs> like north Dallas 40 and chris uh chris basically right after everything happens walker goes right to his cell phone to call the to call his the, cell phone know, his pay phone i mean probably, pay phones, yeah. 
yeah. I'm sorry. I meant to say payphone. Yeah, sure. Uh, and she's like, okay, fuck you. You know, yeah, that, that's it. That's all you want yeah. from me. I'm leaving. And uh, there's no love lost between them, apparently. And she just feels, I'm sure she feels really like she needs 10 showers after yeah. having John Vernon laying on top of her. And then just like, <laughs> that, and then he just gets murdered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoops, and then he's yeah. dead. And it's like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, he goes, he goes, um, he goes to the office, and uh, that's not Fairfax, is it? Um, no, that's Carter. Is Carter. The Lloyd Fairfax Bachner is character. the accountant or yeah, whatever. Guys, so all he does is write the checks. Fairfax is well. Fairfax is Kane and Wynn, as we find out at the as end. We find yeah, out, yeah, right. Yeah. So, but yeah, he gets rid of this guy. the The guy tries to um, Carter tries to get out of it by setting up the car dealer, Big John, to be like a patsy and having to pay another, him off another with assassin a big package shoot of, both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a rifleman off in the. It's it's, it's the L.A. River. It which looks is cool. Always it's a great sequence. Yeah, yeah it looks wonderful. Um, and and um and Lee Marvin knows that something's up. So the so the gunman being so far away ends up shooting Carter. Who's doing the drop? I think he, he was probably supposed to shoot both of them because I think probably I think Carter wanted to get rid of Big John anyway. Like he said, like yeah, after yeah. he said something, he looked at him like, "I got a job for you." Yeah, and uh, the so assassin- the rifleman shoots Carter yeah. and Big John, yeah. packs up his rifle and leaves, and Lee Marvin goes and checks, and the money's not it's real. It's not money. real, yeah. And then the assassin walks away, puts a nice pipe in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> that's James <laughs> Sicking is the actor. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I guess he was in Hill Street Blues and also smoked a pipe all the time. Twenty yes, years later. Yes. So he, I guess he just smoked pipes and everything. <laughs> He's a pipe guy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, but from there he goes to the next link in the chain. This is like the end of the movie. He's uh, he meets up with Carol O'Connor. You're a very bad man, Walker. A very destructive man. Why do you run around doing things like this? What do you want? And tries to get his in, money in Carol from O'Connor's him. house, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is a really groovy, groovy house. Carol O'Connor pull, uh, flies in in a plane and is just like complaining about stuff the whole time. <laughs> and when the plane lands, the gunman, the pipe smoking gunman, is there trying to get the money. And Carol O'Connor's like, "You killed the man I'm supposed to pay you." And, so, it, right. and he says, "Oh, I'm going to talk to Fairfax." And that's uh, remember that. Remember right, what he right, said there? Right. Yeah. Right. Because and then from there he goes to. To his house and Lee is there and Angie is there too. They they end up working together again. Yeah, yeah. she ends up going there with him for it's kind of an inexplicable reason, but there's no reason. It's, well, you don't need a reason. Talk, it just talk about a surreal moment when Keenan Wynn is like, "Okay, next guy you kill is Brewster, this character." And Lee Marvin goes, "Where's his house? We're here." This is it. <laughs> and then he looks at that and they're just at his house. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That Keenan was really Wynn, cool. Yeah, almost, he's almost magic in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, these John Borman films, he finally made Excalibur. I think a lot of his movies have these sort of magic characters, these almost Merlin-like characters. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the puppet masters. Right, and you know, things. even like the way they try to frame Reagan and James Earl Jones in Exorcist 2 is that they're like these magic characters. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you, yeah. yeah. It's it's great, um, and so the big climactic scene is that uh, Carol O'Connor calls Fairfax to pay him, and they set up another drop at Alcatraz. Yep, they're back in square one. Uh, Alcatraz is apparently one of these helicopter drops where they just they they're laundering money. It that doesn't way really say. Not really, it clear. was. I guess initially it they say that Mal Reese brought it into the organization. Okay. so it was just I guess. It was happening from like maybe drug money or whatever. Or and Big John was, was yeah, laundering money somehow. Or, or, or I think maybe just like some separate criminals were doing it. And then Mal was trying to rob them to pay back the organization. And then he also, I guess, you know, 
the organization took that drop over after Mal like told him about it. Right. That's right. how it, that's how it seemed like he was able to get back in with them. Yeah. 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 It got it got really hairy at the end there. And right. Uh, so yeah, that's right. Uh, Carol O'Connor's. There's a whole thing where. Let me tell you something about corporations, Walker. This is a corporation. I'm an officer in a corporation. We deal in millions. We never see cash. I got about eleven dollars in my pocket. Then there's a conf- conflict between them and. Eventually, yeah, they set it up to go back to the Alcatraz to another drop. Yeah, and uh, and and Carol O'Connor's, you know, Walker is way up in the in the eaves of this he's prison. Being very he's very careful. Kind of being yeah. very very careful. Very careful. Yeah. And uh, Walker, Walker, they're yelling his name, and then of course Keenan Wynn and the Riflemen show up. Yep. Uh, they kill Carol O'Connor. Yep. And uh, and then you find out Keenan Wynn was Fairfax the whole time. The whole time. Should have stayed in the count. Our deal's done, Walker. Brewster was the last one. <laughs> Thought he could take over from me. But then the sort of inexplicable thing happens. Lee Marvin doesn't take the money. It's he doesn't sitting take right the there. Money. Yeah, and he's squeezed way up in the dark in these shadows, and he just kind of disappears. He v- vaguely fades out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the end of the movie. I so. mean, there's there's a thing where somebody says, "What would you do with the money if you got it?" It's like a like a matter of pride. Like, okay, I got them to pay, but I'm not going to risk actually taking the money. Like, it's one of the maybe he maybe got he, them. Maybe he got them all to kill each other. Yeah, uh, because... and then Keenan Wynn does leave. He says, you know, okay, let's fly away in our helicopter and leave the money. So the money is still there. You know, right. we don't know. But there's also the possibility that it's not real money. We already saw them do that. Right, you know, it right. It could just be a trap. And then, and then. Um... And then what do you do with a bunch of money and you're on Alcatraz? I mean, did they come over in a boat? Or yeah. are you going to have to swim back with again, all the money no, again? With the money, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. There's, there's also it really the, leaves that open. the theory about the whole thing was sort of his dying dream in Alcatraz. Like, am I awake? Is this happening? And yeah, then that's, yeah. you know, he's, he's back at Alcatraz at the begin, you know, at the end, and then he just kind of disappears. And I, you know how dreams are. They, yeah. they, you, you can have a you can have an epic mo- motion picture in about five minutes of actual And especially if you're, like, time. dying and your fucking perception of time is all screwed up and things are getting spinny, I oh, imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, which well, You're is bleeding supposed- out from yeah. gunshot wounds. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if that's, like, anything John Borman would... would give any credit to if we asked him but that is like a valid theory i think yeah, yeah. and it leaves it open for the audience yeah. to just kind of go yeah okay what seems like a cool watch is and i didn't get i didn't actually do this but um if i were to get the dvd there's a commentary where john borman and steven soderbergh do commentary on it oh that it's, sounds interesting. it's one of steven's favorite movies apparently and you cool. watch his movie the limey with terrence stamp it's kind of this movie it cool. is it is i have not seen movie. that but i yeah. would watch it if i knew that uh, yeah knowing what you just said yeah. that would be great uh-huh that's a great watch um you know john borman i mentioned the movie excalibur that he makes later and i i didn't this is not my theory there's a guy who wrote a book on John Borman. Brian Hoyle is the guy's name. Who's the um, so he wrote a book called The Cinema of John Borman, and I was looking at just excerpts from that to, to kind of come come up with this. You know, he was all of his movies are sort of based on the idea of the quest, and he was always kind of leading up to wanting to make a King Arthur movie. Oh, no kidding! And so it's Lee Marvin's sort of 
you know, quest to get his money back, or, you know, Zardoz is certainly a quest, and oh, Exorcist yeah. 2 is, like, a quest to finally rid Pazuzu of whatever. Right. And, you know, that's the thing, like, Keenan Wynn is a Merlin figure, and Zardoz in Zardoz is kind of a Merlin figure. Yeah, Zed, the, uh, yeah. the Sean Connery character. It's is like is, the uh, Arthur, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, so I want to see uh, Excalibur, because I have not seen it, but I guess that's sort of, like, was his dream project that he finally got to make. Yeah, that's yeah. like Peter Jackson getting to do redo King Kong. Everybody has the one thing. Or like if I ever get to do Jaws 2. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. 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 All right, well, we think Point Blank is great. and um, Yeah, it is a cool movie. Yeah, um, so check it out. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. cool Um, number two the year after point blank john and lee marvin collaborated again on hell in the pacific which is another uh, Conrad Hall shot movie. Mm-hmm. And it looks really wonderful. A lot of great colors in it. This Pacific Island where Lee Marvin and Tashira Mifun are stranded on. And uh, that's basically the movie. Is there, there right. a Japanese uh, Navy, I guess, captain and an American pilot stranded on an island during World War II. And uh, yeah, talk about that, it. Yeah, yeah. And, how they, and how they get there. Uh, I, I unfortunately... Um, I, and I knew you had a, a Blu-ray, and I, I was going to call you. Like well, I, I was going to call you, but I was running out of time, and yeah. I and then I found it on YouTube. It's a series of tubes, and um, it was horrible. It was just a shittiest dub. Every comment said, "Bro, this dub's the worst." The other there is a YouTube one that looked decent though, right? With the and alternate. I don't know why I didn't find that one, but then as it turned out, that had an alternate ending. Right. So yes. you and I at least watched the same, the same ending. ending. We yeah. did. Which uh, so the movie is. So I couldn't appreciate the cinematography very much because yeah. it was just pathetic. The, the things I liked. Um, the story was great. Um, is the way we're uh, a cut co- like color the way John Borman has the colors in the movie and how it is on that island the greens and the blues and the white of the sand is like really vibrant and like beautiful looking and then when they get on the raft near the end and they're on the storm the color is just gone and everything mm. looks harrowing and bizarre and that's also in the last near the end of deliverance our next movie does that where the color just kind of drops out when it gets really harrowing when there's a storm right and uh i don't know i just thought that, that that's a really, really interesting point yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's really a quite quite a character study because here you've got um you, you've got this japanese officer who's uh, who knows how long he's been there but he wakes up one morning and he sees this yellow raft that's stuck in the in the mangroves yeah. or whatever it is and so he knows somebody else is here and it's lee marvin and they of course there's this huge language barrier, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, and Lee Marvin 
he's tr- he's trying to he knows that Toshiro has water. Yeah. Well, all, all I want is some water. Well, you got plenty of those. <coughs> Not for everybody. Now, originally, he's just trying to get water from the guy without him killing him because uh, Mifunungi's got a sword and Lee's got, a, I don't know, a big long stick or something. Yeah, he didn't really have a weapon. No, he, he notably does. He has bullets from a gun, which he drops in fire, but he does not have a gun. Right. He does yeah. not have a gun anymore. Yeah. So apparently he uh, he escaped on a raft and he just ends up there. And so, uh, so the whole f- the first half of the movie is them trying to uh, resolve... Their differences through no communication, oh, really. Communication. <laughs> yeah, the Japanese and English, neither one is subtitled, right? So, no matter who's watching this movie, half of it is fucking indecipherable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a really Which cool is, experiment. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. it's really great. Yeah. And, and you know, it, there are shots that where it shows them both in the same like on like super opposite sides of the of the frame, right? You know, real yeah. wide angles. Like, and it, it's great just to see like. Oh, you know, there's one shot where they're both standing on the beach, way apart from each other. Yeah, and just like they're a mile away in yeah. so many ways, and they're a mile away from each other. That's what I mean. Yeah, too. That's what yeah. Mufun yeah. I mean. uh, tries to smoke him out uh, by setting all these fires, and uh, that doesn't really work. Uh, he Lee, falls on the water at one point, and it ruins it for both of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lee almost has water in his in his. Uh, it's it's just painful to watch. Uh, he's got he's got his canteen on a rope, and he's trying to sneak it in there. Well, while Toshiro is asleep. <laughs> Toshiro's yeah. sleeping. Yeah, it, it's just this. It's and they finally through through whatever means they finally just realize that killing each other would be pointless, yeah. and they uh, they eventually team up. To build a raft, yeah. and he's Lee Marvin's like bamboo. Where do you get the bamboo? And the bamboo's way and up on the top of the cliff, together, and they're cutting yeah. it down and throwing it down on the beach. Uh, and Lee is going on and on about it. Okay, and he finally just says, well, "Okay, we'll build a raft." Yeah, because he's if because uh, Tashiro's building a raft out of Lee Marvin's log, and Lee Marvin's like, "That is my log." Look, if I told you once, I told you a thousand times. That is my log now. Keep your hands off it. You want my log? You can have it. I said you can have it. Look, you can do anything you want to do around here, but just don't be sneaky about it, because I can't stand a sneak. You want to build a raft? Build a raft. A raft. (laughs) <laughs> and then from there they like decide to decide to build a raft. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, Lee Marvin again. He's just become one of our heroes. He's great. In the, yeah, he's in the last few shows, he's just popped up in the greatest stuff. I did a whole month of Lee Marvin in Ma- in March, and this was a movie I did not watch because specifically I was anticipating doing a Borman podcast and. It's I I love it's just I love that, it. It's yeah. a magnificent. Yeah, it, it's 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 a, just a wonderful human experiment. It's just like uh-huh. uh, you can imagine whoever I don't know who's the who wrote the story or where where it originated. It's got three screenwriters: Ruben Berkovich, Alexander Jacobs, and Eric Berkovici. And somebody in there said, "What happens if you got a Japanese guy?" And you know, there's always the trope of the Japanese uh, a soldier who's been in a cave for forty years right, and doesn't yeah. know the war is well, over. What does Robert about, Mitchum say? Yeah, Ken's yeah. still fighting the war. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. In the in the yakuza, and and uh, this is a similar thing. Except they're both they're both stuck 
And Lee Marvin's saying, you know, they got rescue boats out looking for me. Yeah. Of course, they're not looking for him. You know, nobody's looking for anybody. They're, they're, it's really a hopeless thing, but yet they do manage to. It's just, it's great to watch. It's it just is great yeah, it's, acting. It and, is great acting. And, but... and Toshiro doesn't, um, he doesn't. I don't think he ever really learned English because I remember your favorite Mitchum, uh, um, uh, um, um, the the British um, oh, Long Goodbye. Well, yes, of course. Uh, is he in that? Oh no, no, no! I, I'm sorry. He's in Winter Kills. As he's a in Winter Bunker. Kills, yeah. and Winter Kills. They said that uh, he how hard it was to you know. They basically he basically just he learned spoke his... English in Winter Kills. Yeah, he did. All right, Keith. It's the same, always the same, and you. You're looking good. But he I did think. it phonetically. Uh, he didn't really know exactly that's what he was saying. I totally forgot because, yeah, he, he speaks English in that. He's in 1941, but he speaks Japanese in that. Right, yeah. right. I mean, it reminds me of the, of the um, my mother loved Brazil, uh, Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66. And uh, the two singers, one was clearly a blonde American girl, and she was there for her looks. But the other singer, I thought, man, she's magnificent. If this is what a Brazilian woman is, that's what I want. <laughs> and it turns out she's a nice Jewish girl from Chicago. Oh, she said the they had to learn yeah. Portuguese <laughs> phonetically to sing all of these songs. So, yeah, that's a bitch. Crazy. Now, Mofuni doesn't have to do that. Like you said, yeah, they're yeah. both just speaking their own language, and neither one of them knows what the hell they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I like that neither one is subtitled either. Like, yeah. it's not going to let you off the hook for not knowing Japanese. Like, the, you're going right. to be just as confused yeah. as Lee Marvin. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, and then it, they're just, you're, 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 you're in their delirium, too, man, because yeah. after a while, it's, it's really just... Well, then, yeah, they, they get on, they build the raft together, right? They collaborate, and they get on this raft... And it gets real harrowing, and, and it, you know, Lee Marvin is singing. Down in the cane break, close by the mill, there lived a colored girl, and her name was Nancy Dill. I told her that I loved her, I loved her mighty fine, and if she would come with me, I soon would make her mine. Come along, come, won't you come along with me? And I'll take you down to Tennessee. Lee Marvin loves, it's always great when he sings. We, we just did, of course, Pay Your Wagon. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So just more like bonding between the two of them, but the weather gets real bad and the color drains out. And I had the thought of, no matter who finds them, one of them's going to just be a prisoner. It's, right? yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's, this is kind of, it's kind of the ominous it's, thing hanging over everything. Yeah, yeah. it's inevitable that, um, that they're going to have to... They're gonna have to somehow make it out alive, but then, yeah, then then protect each other somehow, depending yeah. on who finds them. And when they them. they find another island, and it looks like it had been occupied by both sides at one point. There's like American magazines, but there's also Japanese writing. So yeah, it like- so Mifune's like Japanese, and he's up and he's wandering around, and Lee Marvin sees American ammo boxes. Yeah. He goes, "No, hey, don't shoot, don't shoot." Hey, he's my friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it turns out there's really nobody, nobody there. there. And then Tashira shows up and Lee Marvin says, Oh, for a second I thought you were a Jap. <laughs> 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 but then, uh, yeah, Lee Marvin finds cigarettes, Tashira finds sake. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the hospital has got, got all of this. So you're sitting around and, and drinking and... and uh, 
you know, they they've survived and and uh, but, you know, they get drunk and uh, like we were talking about this, the the alternate ending. Thankfully, we didn't see either of that. But um, the the ending we saw, it was it was really intense because you get characters that drink in movies. You know how alcohol can strip away. Uh, certain and he's got things. a life. The Life magazine is right there, which has all these like horrible know, American propaganda and just gruesome like yeah. Japanese uh, dead uh, soldiers uh, and yeah. prisoners and and, and so is like, really what the fuck bugged. is this? Yeah. yeah, he's getting really bugged with it, and they're getting drunk, and then Lee's talking about God and Jesus yeah, Christ. Getting, how, how come you guys don't believe in God? You know. But in the meantime, I remember watching it, and I was feeling this tension. <laughs> something's going to happen. You hear these. Bombs going yeah, the off. sound like, design—it's real that, subtle at is first. That and then, yeah, and then I wasn't uh, sure. I thought it might have just been like soundtrack music, but no, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets a little bit louder and a little bit closer. G O D God, heaven, Christ, Jesus Christ, Saint I said God. You better watch how you talk to me. And then, boom! The end. The end. And the alternate ending, which is... Same thing. They're arguing. They're arguing. I mean, are they in the Pacific? Are they, is it just like a practice bombing range, or why are they bombing an empty island? Who knows? Uh, who, I mean, it's war. Who fuck? They don't know. Right, yeah, right. like they yeah. might. Somebody thinks there's somebody there. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It, it, it's just. Uh, yeah. It's just. But yeah, it could be a practice. It could be like. You know, we don't even know what side's base it was, right? It, it looked right. like they had both. We been don't even there. know who the bombs right. were, yeah. were from, and yeah. that's the whole thing. The futility of it doesn't doesn't matter. Um, it's amazingly great. The alternate ending. Here's my fucking sort of thought. The alternate ending is like no bombs, right? They just argue, they argue, they argue. Uh, Lee Marvin like kicks something and then they walk away. And we're, we're not friends anymore. Lee's leaving. And so, okay, they, you know, their bullshit got in the way. In some ways, that's a sadder ending because, you know, at that <laughs> point, they're, you know, when the bombs hit, they were arguing. But they weren't like there wasn't a definitive split yet. They were still kind of engaging each other at the moment right. the bombs hit. Like, right. Right. so you well, because the war had left them. Right. They, their their survival depended on them getting just anywhere. But and then when the, where they get to is just they, the war is so and obvious. It, and they ended without fully becoming enemies. Right, the bomb got them before you know, thirty seconds before they became fully enemies. Right, right. So right. it's almost like okay, you know. that, that that's a great ending. Yeah, that alternate ending has this Hollywood kind of geez, we can't have them both die. It's kind of you a, know, what some... the fu- and it's ultimately I think more depressing because it's like they just they walked away from each other as opposed to circumstances dictating them ending. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Alternate endings crack me up because sometimes it's just testing the audience. You know, they'll show, they'll screen it and go, well, that ending, a lot of people said that ending was a bummer. Can we get it? Or, or they they shoot endings as they go so they're ready in case they got to do an, or somebody's fighting for an alternate ending. And, you know, how those things happen, I it's don't weird, know. It's weird, yeah. It's a weird, uh, There's to me, there's no other way to end that movie. It says like many were di- left dissatisfaction of the outcome. Subsequent DVD release has, yeah, I guess like... People just didn't like it. Well, they alternate ending, they leave the fate ambiguous. I don't know. I think that, I don't think that that 
is as good of an ending. I don't either. Yeah. I, I I totally agree. I think I think I think that it's. It's a war movie for Christ's sake, and mm-hmm. you know if you take away the that ending, there's no war anymore. Right. Even though that whole Life magazine brings the war back into full focus for yeah. for both of them, um, right? And that and the alcohol fuel, fuels this subdued anger that they that they you know put aside and in order this, to like, survive. Cultural bullshit, like yeah, exactly you know, arguing about Jesus. Like what? What does that have to do with anything? I know. Yeah. Well, it's just uh, it's just that that's part of the propaganda. That's uh, uh, exactly you know the Japanese are heathen yes, scum who don't exactly believe right. in Jesus. I mean, that's why it took them so fucking long to become friends in the first place. <laughs> like, I, I sit there for forty five minutes. These guys are trying to kill each other. It's like, dudes, like, what are you, come on. <laughs> like, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with his dead body? And then you're still alone. Yeah, so, I so know. What's the t- point? T- struck me as insane that. It took them so long to collaborate but that's indoctrination for you i guess there you go and yeah and the language barrier was it was a really cool really cool part of the story yeah it's it's a it's worth seeing for sure yeah and uh the cinematography and, and everything is uh, Remind, fantastic. I, I got vibes of John Carpenter from the wide, just like really expansive mm. frames. Is yeah, what, what cool. What it reminded me of. Yeah. Um, also, the movie Enemy Mine, the Dennis Quaid's movie in space, is kind yeah. of like a sort of half remake of this. Yeah, you were mentioning yeah. that. Um, what's the James Caan... Um, uh, Mandy Patinkin plays an alien. Uh, oh, that's Alien Nation. That's a that's like a cop movie, and it's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah. Huge fan, and, yeah. And and that's sort of like, well, uh, you're an alien. You're supposed to be my enemy, right. but you're not. And yeah, that's a, that's always been kind of a, yeah. It's like you know, Forty Eight Hours. A cop and a criminal have to team up. It's the, right, so right. many eighties uh, movies were just variations on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this was really cool. Definitely worth watching. Yeah. If you're a Lee Marvin Absolutely fan great. or uh, a Borman fan. Absolutely got to check it out. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll go on to the next one in just a minute. All right. We're back. Yeah. Next movie, uh, probably John Borman's most famous movie, at least in America, is 1972's Deliverance. You want, you want, to, you want to talk about the vanishing wilderness? Lewis, listen, why are you so anxious about this? Because they're building a dam across the Kahulawasi River. They're going to flood a whole valley, Bobby. That's why. Damn it, they're drowning the river. They're drowning the river, man. All right. Drowning. All right. Just about to let... All right. We're talking to you. <laughs> All right. Just about the last wild, untamed, unpolluted, unfucked up river in the south. Don't you understand what I'm saying? We understand what you're saying. They're going to stop the river up. There ain't going to be no more river. All it's right. just going to be a big... Watch progress. Clean progress. That's shit. It's a very clean way of making electric power. And those lakes up there provide a lot of people with recreation. I don't give a My shit. My father-in-law has a houseboat boat over on, on, on Lake Bowie. Oh, that's a nice place. <laughs> you, just, you just push well, a little more power. Just, uh, you push a little more power into Atlanta, a little more air conditioners for your smug little suburb, and you know what's going to happen? We're going to rape this whole goddamn landscape. We're going to rape it. Oh, Lewis, my... <laughs> That's an extreme point of view, Lewis. It is. An it extremist. Is. Movie uh, about four friends in Georgia go on a canoeing trip. Uh, mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds, John Boyd, Ned Beatty, and, and Ronnie Cox. Uh, Ned and Ronnie, it's their first movie. 
Oh wow, yeah, I didn't know that. Very first movie. Nan, wow. I know, was like uh, the star of Louisville, Kentucky Regional Theater before this point, and then they kind of plucked him out of this movie. Louisville, and, Kentucky's uh, seat of culture. Yeah, for sure. and uh, I mean, from there, he was in fucking every movie from the seventies, pretty oh, much. God, that every we fucking like. one yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it, that's uh, gotta and, have Ned, man. And he and Bert like became friends. You know, they ended up working on like five movies together. He's always great. Yeah. Um, so in and, here, and he's really good in this movie too. He he just has an unforgiving role. Uh, yeah. Uh, to play and and you know it's uh, John Voight gets top billing. Uh, Bert's really like the impetus as far as his character. He's really the impetus behind this. He's the yeah. he's the the survival type. The yeah. Outdoorsman. He's the bow and arrow. I'm uh, I'm going to talk to these people. And yeah. We're gonna we're yeah we'll get them to drive the car down and you know they they need somebody to drive the car down to the and to Aintree at the end of the river the, trip. John Voight and Ned Beatty in that very beginning part are just kind of assholes to the to the country people. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Really, just real like snot. Like it starts out, the very thing you see is a WB logo and Ned Beatty just laughing. Like he's like cracking up. Really yeah, like addiction. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes into like all this voiceover where it's the four of them in the car approaching the the um, you know, the, the wherever, the place they have to go. Or right, the river. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, they're they're like driving up, and Bert's talking. Hey, this is the last chance we can do this. Yeah, it's they... an environmental yeah. movie, in and that he talks sense. about the rape of the land. He specifically yeah. calls it rape, and then what happens later in the movie with fucking when they get kidnapped and and then maybe gets raped. It's rape, yeah. yeah it's, it's, um, so it's so they're gonna dam they're gonna dam up the river, I guess, to uh, for hydroelectric power yeah. and, and 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 gentrify it. Uh, Man's ultimately. trying to make money, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Same uh, old shit. And the, you know, so they got to get gas. They got to get somebody to drive their car, and yeah, they they had this real kind of a and the, big shot kind of a thing going on. That, yeah, and sort of like Ned Beatty is like kind of laughing at, at, at like the whole thing when it's when it's going up, and uh, John Voight says to Bert, "Those don't play games with these people." Right in your yeah. shot of the fucking guy. Yeah, it's and really weird. It, yeah, it's like the way John Grant acts in the Yaba in the beginning yeah that's yeah why, that's why when i he first just, told you about wake and fright i called it australian deliverance and yeah. i think there's certain themes of like the urbanite who looks down on other people from the vantage of civilization kind of getting shown what's what like it's sort of yeah the, yeah it's survive this uh, asshole yeah. uh-huh, you know exactly yeah. Um, so the, the, yeah, and, and Ronnie Cox has got his guitar with him cause he's, he's, uh, you know, he's the hippie of the group, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I guess. so he, uh, there's a famous scene where they're getting gas and the, and, uh, uh, and a kid with a banjo sitting up on the porch and they start playing dueling banjos. Come on, I'm with you.
it's very effective in music. It's great. Uh, yeah, it's it, not, it's, it's good. very. It's got a real. It's got a real genuine ring to it. Like they could pull it off, and the, and they see the kid later. He's up on a bridge, and they're when they're in the canoes, and he just is not emotionally. When Ronnie Cox tries to like shake his hand, and he just he won't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's it's you know they, uh, John Voight's looking in, looking in a house, and there's an old lady taking care of some girl has got you know got all kinds of physical and mental problems obviously so it's all it's all this inbreeding the or banjo whatever. guy's name is billy redden he's in three other movies as a banjo playing backwoods person he does not play the banjo in real life and works as a greeter in walmart in georgia cool good for yeah, him i mean not cool i mean he's still gonna work in fucking georgia he's in this iconic movie he kind of got ripped yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah well i don't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even learn to play the band yeah. <laughs> yeah. he could be he could be doing gigs now yeah right right um, yeah well um you know they they they, they bert's being a real hard ass he's gonna give the guy 30 bucks and the guy says i'll take 50 50 my ass. And it gets really antagonistic. But Bert knows how to, like, it seems like the way he's acting with these folks is a little bit more on the same level of understanding them than the other three. Yeah, yeah. Who are kind of, like, patronizing them. Bert's antagonistic, but he's, like, meeting their antagonism. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and Bert, it's Bert's, these are people just like us, and we we need them to drive the cars, and we're going to pay them money, and we need gas, and, you know, and and then, but then Bert's, he's headstrong, he's just driving his Jeep balls out. Yeah. And and going the wrong way, and the one guy in the (laughs) truck following him says, Where are you going, Sid? Boy. We'll find it. It ain't nothing but the biggest fucking river in the state. <laughs> like you can't find that. That's such a funny scene where Bert is in the car with John Foyt and they're just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're both cracking up so hard. And I enough about but enough about me, Bert's autobiography, which is a book I like a lot. Um, John Voight wrote the intro to it and talked about how they were just having a ton of fun on that scene. Yeah. <laughs> Bert, I'm sure, was just like yeehawing it up, man. Yeah. And yeah. another thing we learned that Bert wrote in his book is that the guy who wrote the novel, James Dickey, was just a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> he, he, you know, he uh, they put him in the movie as the sheriff as like a consolation after kicking him off set earlier. <laughs> oh, cool. I figured that. Yeah. I figured they had kind of handed him a bone on yeah. that. Uh, so basically, it, now this I didn't remember from Bert, uh, but from Wikipedia, he started. He had a fight with John Borman, and John Borman got a broken nose and four shattered teeth from it. Good grief! And he was banned for the set, but no charges were filed. And then they became friends, and Borman gave him a cameo role as the sheriff. <laughs> That's your Wikipedia for you. The the story from Bert though is that he just wouldn't stop calling him Lewis, which is the character's name. And Bert's like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like a really funny kind of like Bert's like not acting like a method actor. He's just kind of chilling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's an it's there's sort of a window into people, you know, people really take movies very seriously yeah. and they really believe in these stories. And it's just Hollywood, and man. And the author you of know? the book, too. It's, yeah. it's so like kind of funny how, he, how like pretentious he is about it. Yeah, it's fiction. Come on, you yeah. know. No, uh, but yeah, being being a and and he has a semi prominent role at the end, you know. Yeah, he plays the sheriff. Um, but the sh- and the sheriff kind of he just kind of smooths everything over. Mr. Queen's got a brother-in-law back up in there somewhere. He took off hunting a couple three days ago, and nobody's heard from him since. 
And uh, Mr. Queen thought maybe all might have happened up on him somewhere. Well, we didn't. Hey, don't let him go. These boys is lying. We've got nothing to hold him for. You just need just to chill. chill. Yeah. See, he'll probably show up drunk in a couple of days. You know that Yeah, line. that's right. Yeah. The sheriff said that. And he said, you're, you're leaving now, right? You're not coming back, right? Right. You know? Well, that's, yeah. So before that, you know, what they go out on this trip in their, in their two canoes and uh, first night, is they're just chilling. Ronnie Cox sings another song for a yeah. minute. Well, it's red meat when I'm hungry, moonshine when I'm dry, greenbacks when I'm hard up, religion when I die. Second day, they go out, and John Voight and Ned Beatty get out ahead of the others, because Bert doesn't want to be with Ned anymore. You take that chubby bowl of you today, okay? <laughs> and you get the vibe that, like... Those other two guys aren't friends with Bert. Like they're they're probably like John Voight's work buddies or something. Yeah, something you kind of like get that. you eventually yeah. get to figure you get to figuring out that these people don't know each other all that well. Yeah, I think I, I think, think Lewis and, and Drew do. Yeah, or not, no, sorry, Lewis and Ed. Ed's the John Voight character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those two guys know each other, and but they, they don't always see eye to eye necessarily yeah, either. I, yeah, I get the vibe that the other two guys were like work friends of John Voight. Yeah, or and something Ned's like got that. A, and Ned's got a, like a goofy kind of one of those yeah. kind of golf hat kind of. Things yeah, you, uh, that, uh, you know, well, you buy a hat like this, I bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? <laughs> and uh, and yeah, they get ahead, and uh, they pull off, and uh, John Voigt's just kind of wandering around, and they come across these come two across guys, these two hunters, yeah, mountain men, and then still continue to act patronizingly to them. Boy, you are lost, ain't you? Well, hell, I I guess this river comes out somewhere, don't it? That's where we're going, somewhere. Look, we, we don't want any trouble here. If you, you gentlemen have a still near here, hell, that's fine with us. Well, sure. We never tell anybody where it is. Good. You know something? You're right. We're lost. We don't know where in the hell we are. A hell? Right, yeah. you making some whiskey up here. We'll buy some from it. We could use it, couldn't we? Just like digging themselves a hole. Yeah. And so the, the, the tall guy with a gun who doesn't say much with the really bad teeth, the other yeah. guy is, uh, the other guy's got his eye on the guy's Ned. guy's name is Cowboy Coward. Cowboy Coward. <laughs> yeah. And he's got his eye on Ned, and they take uh, John Voight's belt and belt his neck to a yeah, tree, uh, and they rape Ned Beatty. I bet you squeal. I bet you squeal like a pig. Oh, uh, which squeal? Huh? Squeal, now. Squeal. 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 It's just horrendous. And then they're about to like force John Void to to suck the guy off. He got a little pretty mouth, ain't he? And then Bert shows up and bow and arrow in the back. Right, right as the the, yeah. the 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 tall guy hands the gun. And he's like taking off his pants or something. Yeah, yeah it's, go, really it's grotesque. Yeah. And so yeah, Bert shoots the shoots Cowboy with a with an arrow, and they and uh, the other guy runs away. Yeah. So then they're worried about the other guy. He could be going and telling all of his friends. He could be telling the police. What's he going to tell the police? You know who was breaking the law? What law? Yeah. You know, and suddenly it's like this whole thing just totally crashes down. And and Ronnie Cox is the only one of the four of them who's like, we got to report this. There's not one thing to do. Take the body down to entry. Turn over the highway patrol. Yeah, yeah. he has a moral issue yeah, with the whole and, thing. And, you know, Bert and his argument is like... You take this man down out of the mountains and turn him over to the sheriff, there's going to be a trial, all right. 
trial by jury. So what? We killed him, Andrew. Shot him in the back. A mountain man. A cracker. That gives us something to consider. All right. Consider it. We're listening. Shit, all these people are related. But goddamned if I want to come back up here and stand trial with this man's aunt and his uncle. Maybe his mom and his daddy sitting in the jury box. What do you think, Bobby? How about you, Ed? I don't know. I really don't know. Now, you listen, Lewis. I don't know what you got in mind. But if you try to conceal this body, you're setting yourself up for a murder charge. Now, that much law, I do know. This ain't one of your fucking games. And, and Ned Beatty's argument is, let's bury him. I don't want this getting around. Yeah. So they're all kind of coming at it from different points of view. So they end up voting to bury yeah. the guy, and they bury him on the riverbank, and they're going to go and take off again. And um, and Drew, the the guitar playing guy, he just yeah, kind of never Ronnie Cox never puts on his life jacket it before, and they're going, and, and they're they getting in these rapids, and he and just falls the fuck over. I don't think he falls the fuck over. It looked to me like he just kind of. Got out of the canoe. Yeah, well, then Bert keeps saying that he was shot. He was shot! Bobby Drew was shot! Which didn't happen. Well, that's, yeah, it's so... They're trying to rationalize everything. Yeah, and Basically, like, Drew couldn't be, deal de- with it, I don't think. I got the feeling yeah. it was kind of suicidal. It looked like he just kind of went over, it's hard to went say, off the yeah. boat. Because uh, I was really wrestling with what actually happened there, too. It didn't look to me like he fell. It looked to me like he would deliberately okay. made a move, but I don't know. I thought he just kind of like, I think he, he I, I saw that he looked kind of just catatonic, Completely dis- right? Yeah, and, and, and despondent. Then and ca- yeah, and he wouldn't put on his life jacket. He wasn't even listening. Drew, they're yelling at him. And the Rapids are not, they're, they don't really know what they're getting into. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think those four guys were on the Rapids, right? I know Burt was. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, John Voight looked like he was, too. The scene where Burt gets thrown off. And, yeah, Ned was in the front of the canoe. So now, I, I think, think some, I think some of the... It. Now, yeah. I've, been on, I've been on gentle Rapids, vacation Rapids in North Carolina, where you can... Everybody can go on, uh, you know, on these very mild Rapids. So you get a little rush here and there. Yeah. But you can shoot that and speed it up. Oh, I, yeah, I got the sense. I got the sense they did a little of that to make it look a little more intense than it was. I see. Um, it because, definitely looked intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, you can't, you can't risk uh, actors. I don't care what Lloyd's of London has got you insured for. You know, you you just can't really risk that. Um, but it was very, very effectively done. And so what happens is. Uh, Drew falls out of the canoe. The wood canoe gets stuck in the rocks. The other canoe bashes into it, cuts it in half. Everybody crashes. Bert's, Bert's broke, fucking leg is broke broken. Leg. I see his femur bone sticking out. He, um, you know, Bert, former stuntman, he shot that scene himself where he's falling over. It's not a dummy, he, he I does, guess. Yeah, yeah, he does a front flip he, he really had, good. I guess it was supposed to be a dummy, but he had asked Borman to, like, no, I can do it. I'm a stuntman. And, it, I mean, it works. He did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can tell it's him, yeah. too. It's really uh-huh. great. It's crazy. Good line. stunt. 
at 100%. And then it looks like more Wikipedia stuff where Ned Beatty almost drowned. Burt Reynolds broke his tailbone falling down. Like, it was fucking crazy oh, stuff. God. Like, and wow. it was the four guys, I guess. And just, yeah. you know, like, doubles. Crazy. Yeah, and but when the they make it through that rapids, they get Bert kind of parked in these rocks. And that's and, when he's uh, saying that Drew's Drew gone, shot. and yeah, Bert's saying that he was shot, and then that the, the whole premise of like, okay, if he was shot from up there, we got to go after this other guy because the other guy's up there. He's up there, up on but the we don't know if he was even shot. Yeah, so I never heard a gunshot, and it, it didn't. Nor, nor was there like any squibs or, or anything like that. It right? Was just, yeah, yeah. It's. I think it's supposed to be like they're fucking all just kind of going crazy, like their their yeah. minds are breaking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, John Voight has to climb up this cliff to get to the top, while Ned stays with Bert, and it gets got rainy. his bow and arrow yeah. and a long rope, yeah. and it gets, it's a trek. Yeah, getting the fuck up there. And the, that's like I think when the color drains out, and it looks the same as hell in the Pacific at certain points. Night, yeah. uh, night comes, and he's yeah. kind of he's kind of he makes it to the top, and he's sitting there. And night comes, and then in the morning, he wakes up, and the and the guy, sure enough, the well, other guy is there. A guy is there. Wasn't it kind of like it was nebulous? It was the yeah. same guy. Yeah, so, it was very nebulous who it was. And there's a great thing where John Voight shoots him, and like he realizes he's dead, and then after the fact, he's like he has this like, oh no, I just killed a guy kind of thing. Where yeah, he runs is over that the and guy? Checks. Yeah, yeah. He's looking at his teeth, and it's kind of he's got a he's got an appliance in, so maybe it is the same well, guy. If Drew was never shot, there was probably no guy up there, so it is just some guy yeah and they're so just losing nobody it. knows yeah it's and uh it flashes back to john void originally when he when he wakes up from the first overnight the very calm overnight he's the first one up and he crosses the he crosses the stream and goes up with his bow and arrow and he sees a deer and so he's gonna shoot it but he's got the shakes really bad and he can't do it yeah and he does release the arrow but he misses completely so so he's got an issue where he not gonna kill anything but he did get the guy didn't and he, he yeah, did it was like well, that's the thing you the think side. you yeah. think oh my god he's gonna miss the guy and the guy's walking and right up to him with a gun too. yeah it falls gets stabbed by his own arrow. and it is until the guy walks up pointing a gun at him that you realize you see, there is a big fucking arrow wounded all in his, his neck yeah, yeah he, got, he did get stuff. shot and yeah void stabbed himself with his own arrow and got to get he got to get the guy down there they tie a big rock to him and sink him uh and they, 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 you know, they, they finally make it. They stick Bert in the in the metal canoe, and the three of them go through a bunch more rapids, and they finally make it to uh, to this town that's about to get flooded. They're moving the church out of town. You yeah, see it on the, truck. and the church is there next yeah. to a boat ramp. But yeah, they're getting ready to. You see it on a truck later on. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, that's what, it reminds me of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, where, where they're talking about, oh, right. this whole valley's going to be, they're going to flood it. And they're you gonna see the go. explosions happening in, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, the in movie. the beginning. Yeah. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, and so then then it becomes, they got to get their story straight. And then they, they're, um, they're, they're all put up at this lodge, the Colonial Lodge, with all these older older people and uh, and... Ned's kind of yucking it up, and he yeah. seems to, you know, he they're got wearing the same shirt me. at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the that. They really crazy. They got him some clothes, the yeah. same exact shirt. <laughs> and uh, and John Voight comes comes in to say, hey, "We we left you, you know, we left you a seat at the table, and they're eating, and yeah, and uh, he just starts crying, 
and uh, Ned Beatty says, Porn is special, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they all start, yeah, you know, just making small talk again. Yeah. And then uh, John kind of gets over it. And and so the cops are, the cops have got the guy, it's like a brother in law that's really, he knows that they, he knows something, something bad. DNA yeah, to hold yeah. him, but they, the sheriff's like, We got nothing to hold these guys on. You know, they, they were canoeing and they had an accident, and one of their guys died and they can't find him and you know and uh and Bert's in the hospital and um you know eventually the sheriff says listen you know he's probably going to show up drunk in a couple of days and yeah so you guys are leaving now you're not coming back right yeah right uh I, I remember thinking that um the sheriff had nice teeth Right. <laughs> nicer teeth than everybody, than everybody else. else yeah because it's kind of stuck out but yeah and uh and they 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 eventually leave but this the real story doesn't come out john void has a terrible nightmare well, that's with his the hand comes out of the water yeah yeah he's yeah. gonna be haunted with that yeah. the rest of his life that's, and that's the end of the movie right? incredible yeah, yeah incredible movie um i don't know how they shot half of that shit but it's a good one, yeah. yeah it's um, a really good one. Some casting stuff to just hit on real quick that I'm seeing here. Uh, Lynn Stallmaster again, beautiful. Um, but I guess James Dickey initially wanted Peckinpah, Sam Peckinpah, to direct the film and wanted Gene Hackman to play the Ed role. Uh, John Bor- Borman wanted his friendly Marvin to play the role uh, and wanted Marlon Brando to play Lewis. Wow, yeah, that so would have been wild. Interesting. Yeah, they would have been older. Like sig- the characters would have been significantly older. Yeah. yeah. And Jack Nicholson was considered for Ed. Donald Sutherland and Charlton Heston turned down the role of Lewis. And then it doesn't say what roles, but considered for the film. Robert Redford, Henry Fonda, George C. Scott, and Warren Beatty. So, like, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Everybody. Yeah, yeah. the A-list. It's a good uh, offer to everyone. Wow. Wow. Cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, take a break again, uh, and we'll yeah. be back in a bit. Yes, sir. We are rolling. All right. Going to talk about Zardoz. I am Arthur Frayne, and I am Zardoz. I have lived 300 years, and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony, and most satirical. What a wonderful Bizarre film. Bizarre picture from 1974. Uh, really part of Sean Connery's post-James Bond odyssey. That one was an odyssey. No kidding. Yeah. I remember reading that after Diamonds Are Forever, he's just having a tough time yeah. finding work. He was in Murder on the Orient Express, I think. What you know, One of many characters. He was that's not a the Peter Hustonoff uh, no, version? No, that's the Albert Finney one. Oh, the Finney, the Finney one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. He's in that, which I think was right after Diamonds, and then this was his second movie after James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what a fucking weird movie. Yeah, supposed really to be, weird. It was supposed to be Burt again. Uh, I guess he was initially announced as the lead with Charlotte Rampling, but he had to withdraw due to illness. 
And Sean Connery is looking kind of birdie in this movie. He is. is. Yeah, he he's is. looking real birdie. Yeah, yeah. Mustache. He's he's not he's not ripped, but he's uh he's very handsome. Yeah, big, and like big hairy, hairy bees. and a big mustache. Yeah, and I I didn't check this out, but I noticed the costume designers also named Borman. It was his wife at the yeah, time. I figured, yeah, okay. and I wrote that down. Everybody looks fucking insane. It, the <laughs> costumes are yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Like 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 uh, Sean plays a guy named Zed, who is Zed. one of the brutals. Yes. And he's an exterminator, and he's got these um, he's got these uh, bullet belts that cross his yeah. chest, and he's wearing this like a diaper jockstrap kind of, of a situation, thing. yeah. It's uh, and these big boots too. He's yeah, got, like, tall it's boots. A, and he's holding a gun. Dude. Yeah, he's always got his little revolver. He's always got his revolver. The gun is good. The gun is good. The penis is evil. <laughs> right? That's what they say. Uh, uh, that's how the movie... Well, the movie starts with a fucking floating head, a guy saying, like, Merlin is my inspiration, and I'm a magician, which, you know, John Borman's soul there you go. thing. Yeah, and this that, giant big stone yeah. floating head. Well, that's... There, that's the second floating head. The first floating head is the fucking the guy Arthur Frayne, aka Zardoz, mm-hmm. looking like a window screensaver bouncing up yeah, in the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and that, he's uh, narrating the yes, opening. And yeah. Then uh, <laughs> that's the first floating head, and then there's another floating head, which is him. It's supposed to be the representation of that guy Zardoz. Right. It's yeah. like a big, big fucking giant ship thing. It's it's uh, with and and Arthur Frayne's doing this voice and he's basically telling the exterminators what to do and what they do is they just ride around they on kill, horses and yeah, kill people, murder everybody. Yeah, yeah. They, they're out there killing all the poor people. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and Arthur Frayne turns out, of course, he's one of these elite uh, Eternals. Eternals yeah. Where they figured out how that they're not going to die and they're all separated from the. And Sean Connery ends up inside the floating head and we don't know why for a while right right he, just, right. he shows up in there and because sh- he just shoots everybody he shoots arthur frame and arthur frame flies out of the head in the very yeah, beginning yeah yeah and then nobody can find him for a while and then the head lands at arthur's house yeah. and and zed is uh he's out and he's wandering around and uh, he ends up in the middle of all of these eternal you know, yuppie scum. Yeah, no, it's crazy. You got Charlotte Rampling, who's like, just wants to kill him the whole time. She hates yeah. him to death. Kill it, mate. No. Me. For our love. Consuela. Don't. I will invoke a community vote. The community will follow my intuition. Then I will go to the vortex. You're hurting me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then the other the other girl said, Consuela, this is an experiment. We must find out how it came here. Played by Sarah Kesselman. Yeah. yeah, she's got this very beautiful freckled uh, yep. face. Uh, and and it was all shot in Ireland. Yeah, it behind was, uh, John Borman's house. Yeah. Right? It was and, like the and lake Excalibur, behind his house. apparently yep. a lot of that was all shot there, too. Yeah, right behind um, his house. Yeah, and he so he did the whole thing in Ireland with nothing but optical effects. Yeah. I mean, there's no digital bullshit at all. It's a all lot smoke, of smoke and mirrors. And, literal smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a whole scene where Sean Connery is in a hall of mirrors, which... It's uh, really it's cool. Insane. Yeah, it, yeah, it's Orson Welles, right, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and he does a lot of projection. He he'll project images onto people. That's yeah. a really cool that's sequence what, and there. There's a thing in Exorcist too that's like that also. That yeah, we can maybe mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So that was, so. He he was he was not shy about using using you know uh, uh, analog effects and it's a great effect in this movie because this is this is one of these you know the 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 dabbling I did in science fiction. 
Uh, I love the classic 50s stuff. I love Robert Sheckley. I read some Asimov, but he was a little too clinical for me. Um, but but it was it was sort of gentle golden age stuff where the where we're all going to be living on Mars and right, you know yeah. and, utopian uh, kind utopian of kind of yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And the 70s got really right up there with movies. It got really kind of like uh, antihero. Yeah. Sure. Kind of stuff. Sure. And it was really groove, but it was really groovy, man. Yeah. And, you know, so the Eternals are really groovy, rich people who are running the show. Yeah. But they can't get along with each other, even. Well, their whole thing is that they can't die. Their whole right. thing is that, and, 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 and everybody's supposed to behave, but when you misbehave, they just make you old. So what happens to him then? He'll get six months at least. Prison. <laughs> Aging. Aging? Yes, I'm getting old myself. Three months here, a year there, these sentences add up. So if you're bad often enough, you'll die. They make you old, but they don't let you die. They call <laughs> the old people the renegades. They're condemned to an eternity of senility. We provide them with food, but they are shunned. They're malicious and vicious, so in and out fast. They have their own little fucking area. Yeah, yeah. And they dress, the only people in the movie that just dress like people. Like they're yeah, wearing they're just, suits and dresses. And, yeah, you know, they're just like an ordinary. That's the strangest thing, yeah. Like yeah. Everybody else has got, you know, the Eternals have these weird robes and stuff. And, yeah, and they're like really high on their, what have you. they're high on their own immortality. Yeah. And there's a group called the Apathetics. It's a disease. And it's slowly creeping through all the vortexes. They've grown bored with the immortality. Yeah, yeah and, and they're just like they just lost their will to live, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's it, it's it's a really fascinating kind of thing. And and then and then Zed, as 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 the story. They're like out. trying to probe his memory, so they're trying yeah, to find yeah. out some stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's constantly laying on these slabs, yeah. and they're looking into him, and he's trying. They want to know how he got here, and and what the hell is he doing? And so apparently, as as the story develops, he at some point uh, during during one of these shooting sprees where he's 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 the one of the brutals, he ends up in this library, and so there's a hand that's like showing him a book, but you never see who that is at first. And he yeah. says, I read a lot of books, and yeah. I realized that this whole thing was bullshit. That was it. The Wizard of Oz. Zardoz. Take yeah. Zard and Oz yeah. and put them together. And it was a, a, a little, like, phony baloney guy sort of masquerading as a giant head, which is and what And he this said, I realize, I realize the whole thing is a fucking based on a fairy yeah. tale. Yeah, and it's it sounds like... Um, it's talking about just religion, I guess, in general, is what it's, what it's a sort of a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just really cool. It's, it's, it's an, and but the fucking crazy twist of it all, and I mean, we're just zooming Go through it. it yeah. is that Go Arthur Frayne set up the whole thing. It was I who led you to the Wizard of Oz book. <laughs> it was I who gave you access to the stone. It was I. I bred you. I led you. And I have looked into the face of the force that put the idea in your mind. You're bred and led yourself. Arthur, we've all been used and reused and abused and amused. <laughs> because he wanted to die and the Eternals all want to die. Right. So the whole thing is he was the hand that 
allowed Sean Connery to find the Wizard of Oz. Right, so, yeah, exactly. And, and it was like... He said, I, I was there. I yeah, was the one who gave you the book yeah, in the first I, it place. It was my plan to use you to kill us all, right? Right. <laughs> In Sean fact, the end of the movie, the 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 character friend who went through this really yeah. strange thing at the dining room table where everybody starts doing jazz hands and spirit yeah. fingers at him, and they age him, and they say, you're going to be aged. And so only half of his face was aged, which was really cool, and he ends up... With with the uh, uh, what what are they called uh, the, the renegades? renegades yeah. He ends up with the renegades, and when um, and in the end of the movie, he's the one who says, "Sex it was all a joke." <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I thought yeah. it was like a Monty Python kind of thing. The whole, you know? Yeah, the movie is actually like. I think it is kind of a joke. It is. Like, yeah, I don't think it's like as stone-faced as it presents itself. Right, right. Because it's... Arthur Frayne in his opening Windows Talking head says this story is highly satirical. Like, yeah, it, and it I'm gives you 300 years clue. old and I know yeah. what I'm doing. And I'm, yeah, I'm the one just telling you that, you know, that, uh, yeah, he doesn't say I was behind the whole thing. But, yeah, in the end, he was behind the whole and, thing. And, you know, he gets Sean Connery to destroy this tabernacle, which is this device that makes them immortal, and they don't know how to destroy it. Right. It's a crystal, yeah. and he ends up inside the crystal. That's and, what the Hall uh, of Mirrors thing is. Right, right. Yeah. Really cool sequence there. And uh, then he just kind of suddenly is still just sitting there. There's a room that's full of all this artwork and all of this stuff, and... And, yeah, there's uh, yeah, that's supposed to be um I guess friend's house, which has got like all these st- like statues of like leaders and mm-hmm, stuff. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh and so Zed, uh, the Sean Connery character, he does get into the crystal and he does figure it out and, they, and basically what they do is they burst the whole bubble of the Eternals. Uh, where where they are, and suddenly all these brutal executioners show and up, and it's like such a his, happy ending. His whole buddy, yeah. all his old buddies, who wear masks on the horses and just go around killing and everybody. And the turtles are like, "Bring it the fuck yeah, on! Yeah, like, yeah, kill me, baby! I know, yeah, yeah, it's great." <laughs> But then, uh, but then Sean Connery and Charlotte Rampling, as it turns out, they fall in love. Which is the silliest thing on the planet. If you didn't know this movie was a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they become like Adam and Eve all of a sudden. It's and just they become this time skeletons with hair. Yeah, it's this time compressed thing where they, they run off to this cave and she's suddenly really pregnant. And then there's a baby. And then there's a, a young son. And then he's an older son. And he he leaves. Yeah. And they die. It's all still images, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, like yeah. this time compressed thing. And it's definitely Adam and Eve. So yeah. it's the beginning of... The beginning of civilization or the end of civilization? Yeah, I, I know. They love each other, I guess. You have given me what no other gave, love. If I live, we will live together. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, she sure didn't like him the whole yeah, movie. Right. She yeah. was constantly trying to get rid of the guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's a stud, man. What about the scene when they're, like, trying to study boners? Penic erection was one of the many unsolved evolutionary mysteries surrounding sexuality. Every society had an elaborate subculture devoted to erotic stimulation. But nobody could quite determine how this becomes this. <laughs> that is the funniest thing. <laughs> they're trying to get yeah, yeah, they're trying to get Sean Connery and to get an erection. Like looking at him. It's yeah. so, and then Charlotte Rampling walks up and it's like, oh, that's the trigger. Yeah, that's yeah. A boner. Yeah, I got a boner on so her silly. for sure. Yeah, it's really wild. And the, the you know the boner, the scientific the the science fiction boner thing, you know, a boy and his dog with Don Johnson. A woman can't get pregnant every once in a while. We need new blood. Horse manure. 
You mean you want me to knock up your broad? Lack of respect, wrong attitude, failure of authority. It's a Harlan Ellison story, right. and Harlan was great. Uh, he he wrote all kinds of uh, wonderful, real um, humanistic Twilight Zone episodes, and but he was a real. Some Star Trek stuff too. Yeah, (laughs) he there's a great story about Harlan Ellison where he ends up on the dating game as a bachelor. Wow. And uh, okay, bachelor number one, what's your idea of the perfect date? He said, "Well, we'd go out and have dinner, and then we'd go out to the dump and shoot rats." (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hilarious. That's the way Harlan was. He was just like a real fucking weirdo. Yeah, Yeah, but he wrote some great stuff. And a boy and his dog is where Don Johnson and his telepathic dog, who's smarter than Don. Uh, and in a post-apocalyptic above-ground world where it's a Mad Maxian kind of I want, thing. You know what, that movie... Like, he becomes I like wanted, a sperm donor. He becomes a victim of yeah, the underground. That's a movie that I uh, actually like wanted to watch a couple weeks ago. It just came up in, like, well, somewhere. Well, you should. It's really, yeah. it's really Jason good. Jason Roberts is in that yeah, one. It's yeah, really good. Sure. And it, and it's got that lo-fi yeah. kind of uh, cool. production value like this does. Where yeah. it, but it's really captivating. I'll have to check that out because and Zardoz was totally captivating. I actually. totally liked it. Yeah, it was know, people, people hate it. It's got terrible reviews. I guess it was a I huge flop at the time. It, people just don't it have a sense made, of humor. It looks like it made its money back, but just barely. Uh, all the negative reviews just say it's like this incoherent and, and self serious epic, which. I thought it was really easy to follow. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. And I thought it was just fucking whacked out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When friend, as he's getting killed in the end, says, it's a it was just a yeah. joke. That that made me laugh out loud. I loved it. I just, yeah, I, I laughed think out people loud, missed too, it. with, like, the music and just how happy everybody was <laughs> to be getting shot at the end. Like, it's so silly. Who wants to live forever? Yeah. That's the question. Ugh, that's about right. Yeah, Anyways. it's a, it, it was it was great fun. Yeah, I no question it. about yeah. it. Sorry he, he he really turned. Uh, he made uh, uh, something out of uh, out of nothing. Well, it was an original story, which is written by John Borman, not adapted from anything. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It's really great. Yeah. great. <laughs> really great. It's a, the whole movie's like a great fever dream, and uh, you know, good sci-fi is good sci-fi because yeah. you can do whatever you want, and it's all hypothetical. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, absolutely, cool. Oh, we loved it. Yeah, definitely loved it. All right, we got one more to go, and boy, is it a doozy! So uh, we'll be back in a minute. This is a weedy movie. <laughs> Let's talk about it. All right, it, let's roll about yeah, it. let's talk about it. All right, so we're back uh, with All our right. fifth and final movie from the John illustrious Borman. John Borman, Exorcist II, The Heretic. Movie. And I guess, movie. I guess the heretic is Father Marin, right? That's what they're referring to. I guess so. The, yeah. Because um, he, uh, he, but he seemed to be the one that really, he stayed the course, though, but didn't he? The, well, the beginning Richard is, Burton is the one who uh, was kind of flouting the church. Well, the beginning is Paul Henry from Casablanca, Victor Laszlo. Yeah, right, right. Our friend, right. Paul, he he uh, gets a cameo in the beginning as this cardinal... Cardinal shithead. Yeah, that, yeah, classic, like, 
the classic movie boss like every police captain or fucking yeah absolutely except, except absolutely now he's a a, a cardinal priest marin's uh, reputation is in jeopardy his writings have been impounded i'm not surprised no one in the church wants to hear about the devil satan has become an embarrassment to our progressive views marin was rather more extreme i'm afraid he argued that the power of evil threatens to overthrow the power of God himself. So they found a heresy to nail him to. Well, uh, many of the theological college believe that uh, he died at the hands of the devil. And he gives Richard Burton the assignment to, like, investigate Father Marin's death from the first movie. And right. Because... I guess Paul Henreid says that they're going to bring Father Marin up on heresy charges. So that's what the whole oh, okay, investigation then that's is. It. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Because Burton, Burton uh, you know, that's one of those things, too, that, uh, that one of the things I didn't like about this movie is that oh, we, we, everybody wants Richard Burton to help. But then when he gets really into it, they go, oh, you need You're, to stop yeah, helping. Yeah. <laughs> and he talks about evil so much in such a funny, casual way. <laughs> He's so great. God, I love him. He was hammered, which is, you know, we talk about Lee Marvin being a method drinker. And uh, you know, uh, Linda Blair gives an interview where she said, like, yeah, I was just smoking tons of weed and Dick was just hammered and neither one of us knew what the fuck was going on. And, <laughs> we just did showed and, up and said our yeah. lines, yeah. And, you know, the thing about... Richard Burton and Lee Marvin are both in a movie together called The Klansman with O.J. Simpson. Richard Burton, Lee Marvin, O.J. Simpson. Lives threatened by black rage. Land besieged by white heat. The Klansman. Holy shit, I forgot about that. It's from the 70s, so it's both, they're you know, Richard Burton is already well into his being hammered phase. <laughs> and it's just, both of them are just blotto the whole time. And then OJ's <laughs> running around with a sniper rifle killing Klansmen. It's fucking wild. <laughs> I totally forgot about it's that movie. It's a nutty movie. Terrence yeah. Young, I think. The guy who directed the first couple Bond films mm-hmm. directed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like a TV movie, but it's weird. <laughs> I, I think Richard Burton in Night of the Iguana, I think he liked that character so much that I think I'm going to just spend the rest of my career being a sweaty, drunk yeah, guy. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's, he carries this whole movie he's, on his back. He's really because, good at being a sweaty, drunk guy. Yeah. Like, he's quite, quite compelling. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there, there's, nobody, there's nobody really to root for in this movie because it's just, it's... Uh, and we were talking about Louise Fletcher. She just gives off the vibe. It's like I don't want to yeah, be in this movie. Yeah, she gives very much. I don't want to be in this movie performance and as an, as like a nice doctor. She was coming off her role as a mean nurse, and now she's just a nice doctor. And I, I assume she just doesn't. Maybe she's not a smoker and a drinker, and it's just like uh, you know, God yeah. damn it. Yeah, she's annoying in this movie. She's a psychiatrist, and of course, psychiatry is all about the diseases that I say. Right. thing it's all delusions yeah. hallucinations blah 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 realize what you're up against don't you what am i up against father evil mental illness that's what we're up against here or if you like the casualties of a diseased society evil is not evil is a spiritual being 
alive and living, perverted and perverting, weaving its way insidiously into the very fabric of life. But her office is so 70s. It's so spectacular. Oh, my God. It's got it's Star like Trek the, doors and the yeah, hexagon ceilings. She's in the middle, and it's all everything's round, and yeah, all this stuff re- is going on, all these children. It's I, like a children's uh, developmental, very, delayed, delayed like, children. Star Trek vibes Ooh, from it. Like, and the, had those hexagon ceilings and the doors that swung open. It was a wild office. And, well, her whole, you know, her whole thing is that she's she's got all these children who are developmentally delayed for for variety of reasons obviously and she just spends the whole movie talking to people like it's okay that that they beep 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 just really kind of like oh you're just a child everybody's just a and child and i don't know and why I'm, reagan's even there i don't know <laughs> she either. seems to be doing fine in, yeah. in life <laughs> right she's doing her homework yeah. and uh, you know and Cat uh, dancing now is the 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 character uh is that her sister I don't know who it is. Uh, I don't Sharon. know who it is. Yeah, her name is Sharon. She's not in the first movie, is she? I don't remember what, her at all. Did they have all. a housekeeper in the first movie? I don't think so. I don't remember her at I all, think but Ellen, she seems yeah. to know everything that's going before, on. Well, those, there's a line when the father, Lamont, Richard Burton, ends up going back to the Georgetown house, and it's like 30 minutes into the movie, and it's, mm-hmm. oh, see, now, special guest appearance, the first movie. And right, 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 that right, little right, thing. right. And Car- this is when you see Sharon, she's like a housekeeper, and she says, She would do anything for Father Marin. Yeah, except appear in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, this movie's a mess. Yeah, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And Borman's got um, he's got a lot of really good optical effects. There's a there the, cool the, the back yeah the backstory yeah, yeah the backstory cool is uh, the flashbacks of Father Marin. He uh, originally was in Africa. Yeah, and he um, and he found um, the child who was possessed by the original evil spirit. Azuzu. I am Azuzu. And at the same time, there's this plague of locusts going yeah. on, which is another optical uh, um, effect. They had the special locust photography credit that was on there at the end. You know what? And I noticed, too, that I uh, remember we were talking about altered states that use a lot of um, a lot of scientific close-up yeah, photography. What, yeah. Oxford Scientific Films, same credit. Special locust photography. Also, Albert Whitlock and Dick Smith for optical effects and makeup. And makeup. got credited in yeah, this Yeah, there you so go. A lot of, you uh, know, it's... It's kind of cool, despite its fucking craziness. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it has some really great and, moments. And John it. Borman is like a stylish filmmaker, if nothing else. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a cool-looking movie in a lot of parts, but it's also just... I don't. It's it's fucking bizarre, right? Because it, 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 you know, Father Marin was investigating this child in Africa who turns into James Earl Jones, grows up to James Earl Jones, right? And it's like, which we don't know that until almost the very right. end, right? And he, James Earl Jones is like a locust scientist in Africa, but but he but he but Richard Burton goes there to follow up on it, yeah. and he's some kind of shaman or whatever. And, but then he's immediately a scientist, it's right? A, it's a strange cut. Who are you? My name is Kokomo. Did you ever know a Father Lancaster Marin? Yes. When I was young in Ethiopia. Wonderful man. He died while exercising the demon Pazuzu from a young girl. Were you ever possessed by Pazuzu? <laughs> That's what my mother used to tell me. Richard Burton's outfits uh, in Africa, his safari <laughs> outfit, really cool. Kind really of like cool. Roger Moore, James Bond. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes back at the end of the movie... He's wearing like a suit jacket, but like some shirt that he got 
in Africa. And it's like this really like red and black kind of cool design. And it's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. Yeah. Um, so, so Father Marin, um, the, the, uh, a, a, the boy, uh, what is it? The, uh, the, the, um, Richard Burton is having these visions. Okay, so this is complete nonsense the, with with, uh, with Louise Fletcher. The, the beom, beom, yeah, the, beom, the mind the, mind meld what was it machine, synchronizer the thing. synchronizer. Yeah. These are EEG biofeedback electrodes. They pick up any brain frequency. They're integrated with these hypnotic strobes to bring the two altered states into synchronization. And yeah. it's just a bunch of flashing lights. It's basically strobe light, and yeah. it's 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 biofeedback was another thing, like sensory deprivation tanks. Okay, so a friend of mine, uh, there was a company called Silva Mind Control, and you could buy a biofeedback machine that was this uh, kind of this rectangular silver and gray plastic box which where you put your two fingers on it and you velcro your fingers oh, onto yeah. this thing I think I've seen and that. you yeah and it's... you use your mind to slow the rhythm down so it's basically you turn it up and it goes and you're supposed to slow it down so this is all um and i don't know that that amounted to anything it's all horseshit but it was just a way for some fucking guy to make bucks yeah it was very right right i love to look them up again silva mind control so uh so they're using that and richard burton uh they're trying to find out from reagan what happened because she doesn't remember remember yeah and um but louise fletcher is trying to draw her out and she gets sucked in it seems like they're just needlessly traumatizing her because she seems fine i know exactly and yet they're uh you know well see doctors are there to help you the rest of your life because you're always going to be sick it's like it's like uh it's like alcoholism or, or whatever you know you're never truly recovered uh, because we, you're not going to make it without yeah, because incessant help. The, we went to medical school. And who's paying for yeah. Reagan to sit there and go through all this of this horseshit? Her mom is ostensibly a famous actress, so I guess they, well, they have money. They have a really crazy penthouse. Uh, well, in, yeah, in really cool apartment. Then, like the balcony outside has got mirrors, mirrors on the wall. It's more John Borman mirrors with the <laughs> yeah, birds yeah. flying around. Yeah, that mm-hmm. looks awesome. There's a yeah, like really scene cool. where she's kind of uh, in a trance or something, and and she like almost walks out to the edge. Yeah, and almost goes the, off the, the building. The birds yeah. like kind of shock her, and woo! It's yeah, really yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah, and then but, Sharon shows up. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing? And she's uh, like, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just uh, I'm petting <laughs> the birds. Yeah, petting the birds. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so but they find out like the sort of whole thing that Richard Burton ultimately finds out is that there are these people who are like magic basically like these forces of goodness i must go to africa right away because if i can find this man kokumo it will prove beyond doubt that the exorcisms were valid but more than that you remember how father merrin prophesied that new men would arise to purge evil from the earth they they may already be among us kokumo could be one of them i saw him in a vision i saw his power over evil and that's what James O. Jones was, and that's what Reagan is. Right. And that's retconning the first movie. She wasn't just, you know, happened to be attacked by a demon. She's attacked by a demon because she's magic. Right. And, you know, we, we learned that we see her with a young girl who says she's autistic and doesn't speak. And then Reagan kind of, like, draws her out by not... By just saying, hey, yeah. how are you doing? Doesn't yeah. know the first uh-huh. thing about her. I can't talk. But you're talking now. Yes, you are. I can hear you. 
And you know who that was? That kid? That's Drew Barrymore. No, it uh, no, isn't. It's um, Dana Plato. Dana Plato. Right, right, right. Drew Barrymore uh, yeah. was in the Alter other... States, right. yeah. Other Dana movies. Plato, uh, I, tragic story, uh, killed herself, but there's a story on Wikipedia of her in 1991 robbing a convenience store. Yes. And the person on the phone says, I just got robbed by the actress who played Kimberly in Different Strokes. <laughs> Oh, what a nightmare. What a crazy 911 call. Yeah, she and Jan Michael Vincent and a bunch of other actors from around that time. The TV people yeah, must have just fucked them over. it was a real uh, uh, bad time for especially young actors who worked in TV. Yeah, uh, yeah. Margot Kidder ended up you know, homeless, yeah. and it's just terrible. Margot also uh, uh, ended up killing herself a couple yeah. of years. I mean, maybe 10 years ago. But yeah. yeah, terrible. She, was, she had a car accident, and she kind of was all screwed up because of that car accident, Margot mm. Kidder. She's, that's a very sad story. Yeah, look, well, uh, you, this movie's not going to make you want to kill yourself, but it's 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 a struggle no. to get through some of it. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I said, you know, what would have spiced it up is if Louise Fletcher had been <laughs> uh, had been had a liaison with yeah. a giant locust that's Yo, flying around. The giant locust is Pazuzu a giant locust? I guess so. That's funny. On when we watch it on Prime, Karen Knapp gets credited as the voice of Pazuzu. I don't know who that is. But uh, you know how they have those little pictures of the actors next to who they are? Right, it's just a it locust. It says Karen Zapp as Pazuzu, and it's a locust. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant locust. <laughs> yeah, um, there's yeah. a lot of... Uh, it's not even really allegorical. It's strictly... It's stri- and, and, and Richard Burton gets, a, gets into a bunch of shit where they won't, they won't help him because he knows... Where this child yeah. fell off the cliff, and and they're called uh, they're called cloud churches. Oh, uh, apparently that's in Catholics Africa. That's or something. Uh, the yeah. Ethiopian. Uh, they're, they're Catholics, I think. They're yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Ethiopian Catholics, but you have to climb. Uh, you have to kind of climb in between these two rocks up a chute way to fuck up there then to get to this church. they call him a devil worshiper because yeah. he, he had like a vision. I don't, I don't, why did he have the vision? I yeah, don't and he yeah. had a vision of the where the child fell. They never right. found the child yeah. that fell off the cliff and he had wedged himself between these two rocks and nobody saw him and yep. Richard Burton took him right there and they all went, oh shit! He will not speak to a devil worshiper! And that's the also Bad cl- news. The classic cop movie trope where right before he goes to Africa, he gets pulled off the case by, by yeah, the yeah. priest. You are in dire need of prayer. I suggest you make a retreat. A retreat? Why not an advance? Lamont, you are in open defiance of the church. I beg you to reconsider. I have no choice but to, to relieve you of your assignment. You will refrain from any further action. And then yeah. he does the classic thing that, you know, James Bond does and all the cops. Okay, I'm going to use my vacation time to investigate the case. <laughs> like that classic <laughs> thing. So he's still in Africa, the next scene. There's a really yeah. funny uh, uh, thing from Ripping Yarns, which Michael Palin and Terry Jones did for the BBC uh, post uh, Monty Python. And um, Michael Palin plays a super secret agent named Winfrey. And Winfrey says, I've been saving this country every year since 1898, and I need a holiday. So he goes to the seaside resort, which, of course, is right. full of Nazis, yeah. and, they fo- and they follow him there. So and classic. he's like, he's totally oblivious. Yeah. He's in a hotel room, and he said, there were not more or less than 37 trapdoors in this room. Really funny. And he's just trying to go on holiday, and they go, you've done it again, Winfrey. <laughs> Yeah, so he does that. Yeah, he does exactly. He he does he he does exactly what they don't want him to. And that's there's not even any real reason for them to. 
there's no more reason for them to tell him to investigate than there is to tell him to stop investigating. Right. It's just a plot point. Just a plot point. And yeah. this is like, okay, okay, I get it. Doesn't make any sense. And Louise um, Fletcher, of course, she's just she's just this rigid I don't believe any of this until the very end. Yeah. And then suddenly she's this true believer. And there's this really weird scene where um, you know, Richard Burton is in her office and they're helping with this Reagan thing and it's just the two of them and <laughs> Don't you ever need a woman, Father? Yes. And that's it. And then Reagan walks in. Right, and that's right. Sort of foreshadowing the end. Like, right, yeah. right. In the end, uh, or do they hook up? I mean, well, they almost do. The almost evil do. Reagan, because there's two Reagans at the that's end. That's right. There's the evil Reagan and the good Reagan, and evil Reagan is trying to get richard burton to like hook up with her and kill good reagan right yeah and it's the old and that's some cool reflections because uh you know we talk about the reflections and the sort of images over images in these borman movies there is a pretty cool scene where they're doing the synchronizer and richard burton's on one end of it mm -hmm. and uh, louise fletcher is on the other and you can see like reagan good reagan who's in the room with her is like grabbing louise fletcher like trying to like hold on to her as she's freaking out but you can also see the bad reagan. reagan like and their hands are touching each other and it's it's because kind of intense. because yeah. the uh, the way the way you kill the way you, you kill is you rip his yeah. heart out uh -huh, yeah uh -huh. and so the and the end of the movie has um it has uh, 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 splitting, building splitting and uh, yeah. a fire and all of this shit and going on. Sharon kind of like is tempted by the devil, I guess, at the and end. And she sets she herself goes on bad. fire. Yeah. So the, in, the, in the very beginning of the movie, Richard Burton goes to, uh, I think it's Mexico or some, some Spanish-speaking South, South American place. thing. I'm not sure where it is And there's exactly. a girl who... Um, there's a girl who is possessed. He's in Rio and, de Janeiro, I guess. And she sets herself on fire. Yeah, and that's the thing. Why me? I feel sick. Why me? Right, right. She He's... was also one of Father Marin's new men, the magic people. Right, right. Yeah. And Burton is really haunted by that. And yeah. so uh, Sharon sets herself on fire. And that's, uh, that's a whole part of the thing. What really cracked me up is the end of the movie... All this horrible shit's going on, and still there's plenty of time for Richard Burton to give a speech to yeah. Louise Fletcher and for Louise Fletcher to say, Reagan, I'm sorry. I understand now. And I blah blah blah, well, and then and then like five minutes later, the neighbors all come out and go, "Hey, uh, what was all yeah. that noise?" <laughs> and Richard Burton did it happen fifteen like, minutes walk away. Yeah, yeah, it happened fifteen minutes ago, yeah. and the neighbors and the cops don't even hear Louise it. Louise Fletcher is rendered anything. totally pointless at the end of that movie. You know, exactly. That, yeah. yeah, she's this whole thing where she and Sharon are rushing to get to wherever Reagan and and Father Father, which Long is the died. old house. Yeah, right. right. And but then they get there. And she just stands outside. Yeah, she fucking not, stands outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, you know, the you got to climb the fence. Yeah, and, and the fence has razor sharp barbed yeah. wire, uh, razor wire around it. It's a. Uh, uh, so so who put who put the razor wire there? Who owned the house? I don't remember the first movie well enough. Uh, all those kind of details. It was just. I mean, it was their house. You know, that was it was they were in. I mean, they were a family. She was a movie star, so they were in Washington shooting a movie. So they were like renting a house. And okay, that's where there they you were. go. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, that's that's 
where it was. Um, but yeah, it was just this big apocalyptic kind of the house is split. She's standing, she's standing on the edge of the inside. The whole floor caves in and all of this shit happens. And I just thought it was really funny that everybody gives their speeches yeah. and then the neighbors go, right. yeah. gee, what was all that noise that <laughs> happened 15 minutes out. ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a fucking bomb went off and yeah. you just now noticed, huh? That's right. But yeah, James with Jones was breeding locusts and Ned Beatty is in the movie for literally 15 seconds. I think he's got the smallest role. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and he plays he's, a, the pilot, he's a pilot that's trying to sell uh, Richard Burton. Well, he's, he's like a, a religious artifact trader or something. Ecumenical Edward. Ecumenical Edwards, they call me. Yeah. The second uh, movie that Ned Beatty says the word ecumenical in. He also, it's in his speech in <laughs> Network. One vast and ecumenical holding company. Well, <laughs> well, R- Richard Burton is in his cool fit, and then yeah. Ned goes, uh, fa- calls him father. Yeah, because uh, he knows he knows he's a it, priest. Yeah, I guess so. But, with, but th- there is cool um, sort of. But yeah, he's a complete waste of time. Yeah, well, it's it's because then the one line Richard has to him is like, "I've flown this route before." When was that? It was. It was on the wings of a demon. And this is why he's in the movie, is to say, just to feed him this question. Yeah, he's a really little bridge between getting Richard Burton from here to there. Yeah, just a strange role for, for you know, this was the year off of Network in Nashville. He was like a, this is probably the height of his career, and he just shows up. And, yeah. <laughs> he's like a throw-in. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah, the one they needed all the help they could get to I get guess people so. to watch Well, what did, what did Richard Burton say in the movie? He had the great... Um, Movie review from within the movie, where about 25 minutes in, he looks into the camera and dead, dead set at all of us says, It was horrible. Utterly horrible. And fascinating. Which is that's right a that's review a... of this movie. <laughs> there's a lot of moments in this movie where people will say something and then there's just a moment of silence. Like, the, <laughs> when, when, do you ever need a woman? Yes moment of silence or when reagan is talking to the little girl played by dana plato what's the matter with you i was possessed by a demon oh it's okay he's gone <laughs> Whoops, they, they yeah. these weird and then moments. this like big awkward silence yeah yeah it's true it, it's yeah it's i try i mean borman tries his absolute best and uh, there's a lot of matte paintings and a lot of optical effects, and there were some explosions, and you know, and uh, and it, yeah, it it completely like this whole thing of like the breakaway floors yeah, and broken and windows, like the and, the forces of good and evil, like the two different Reagans. It's and you know the the, the James Lee Jones engineers the good locust to break the swarm. We like to call her the good locust it's almost are they trying to say that reagan is like a jesus figure or yeah it's, it's bordering it's onto really that strange yeah. and i think william friedkin directed the first movie of course like w- walked in for like 20 minutes he's like can't believe he walked out <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous yeah there's some lines where he, he just hated it um well i don't remember what the church said about the original exorcist 
Well, the original Exorcist is a very Catholic movie. Exactly. You know, evil loses, priests win. Right, and this movie really ends the same way, too. And the priest gets the young girl, too. That's right, yeah, (laughs) of course. That's another thing. Fucking movie. Louise Fletcher, her, you know, obviously... Nurse Ratched Nurse Ratched, but her other big role that I think she's really good in, all throughout the 90s on TV, she was uh, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, yeah. As the leader of the, sort of like the Bajoran Pope. My child, if I thought the prophets wanted you to know the purpose of my visit, I would have informed you of it in advance. Child. My child. She was a real sort of like <laughs> manipulative power play. She's really good in that. That's actually, I think, my favorite Louise Fletcher. Uh, yeah, yeah give, her, give her a power role. Yeah. And she, uh, you know, again, it was sort of like what we were talking about, Glenn Close. God damn, she's so good at this role. Right. It just annoys just, the hell yeah, out of me. Right. Or like William Hurt does that in Alter's Day. It's right. we talk about. He's just an we annoying just guy. can't stand yeah. these characters, but they're so good at it that you're like, okay, I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, that, right. Yeah. Give it that's, that. That's Jesus. A- well, right. you know, Jesus um, Christ! William Fraker shot the movie, so there you go. Another, another, yep. another Billy Fraker, and yeah. yeah, again, there are a lot of cool things in it. He shot the original too, didn't he? Uh, uh probably. It was oh William... no, he shot Rosemary's Baby. I don't know if he yes. shot the original with with Friedkin. Friedkin. Hard see. to tell without looking it up. Let's check the internet. But yeah, um, I, the Heretic's a lot of fun. Richard Burton again, um. I like Lee Marvin. We're talking about these professional drunks. They they right. just bring it, Lee, no yeah. matter how fucking loaded they seem to be. It, they don't even seem to be loaded. That's but you, what is int- Well, it, Richard Burton seems it more than Lee Marvin. I think Lee Marvin can maybe play it straight a little bit better. Well, yeah, yeah. But it, he 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 plays drunk roles like Cat Ballou, and then well, he then, drinks. He drinks throughout the you know. Well, he. He can play sober or drunk when he's drunk. When he's drunk, <laughs> he's yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so Richard Burton is, you know, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf and Night of the he's Iguana? He's drunk and, in that, yeah, yeah sure. He, oh, uh, who, who's afraid of Virginia Wolf is just a good drunk one. from non from beginning to end. That's a great movie. It is a great movie. It looks like the um, first one was shot by Owen Roisman, who shot Network. Oh, okay. Uh, another, uh, okay. another sort of almost Gordon Willis like Master of Shadows. Owen Roisman is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways. So, uh, William Peter Blatty obviously wrote The Exorcist, and he has a brief career as a director, too. Two credits. Exorcist 3, which is actually based on his novel Legion and has nothing to do with The Exorcist. It just They put <laughs> Exorcist 3 on it because it was his novel, and one of the characters was in The Exorcist. So, um, okay. the policeman, played by Lee J. Cobb in The First Exorcist, is the main character, and he's played by George C. Scott in Exorcist 3. Uh, but it was just a, a different... William Peter Blatty story. They made it Exorcist 3 in the movie, but he directed it, and it's pretty good. And then a very good movie is The Ninth Configuration. In order for life to have appeared spontaneously on Earth, there first had to be hundreds of millions of protein molecules of the Ninth Configuration. Vincent. But given the size of the planet Earth, do you know how long it would take for just one of these protein molecules to appear entirely by chance? Vincent. Roughly 10 to the 243rd power billions of years. And I find that far, far more fantastic than simply believing in a God. 
oh, uh, which is never movie, seen it. Yeah, he directed it. It's um, Stacy Keach is like an army psychiatrist, and he's in this weird castle in like the middle of nowhere, and that's their hospital. Jason Miller from The Exorcist is in mm-hmm. it, and uh, Ed Flanders is in it. The mm. guy, yeah, who um, he was in something we just watched too. But yeah, uh, it's interesting. That's movie. interesting. I didn't know he was a director at all. Yeah, he uh, directed two movies. Uh, Ninth Configuration is good. Yeah, they're both good actually. If cool. He, yeah, they're both good. Exorcist uh, 3 better than Jaws 3? 3D? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> now, Jaws 2, on the other hand, I could, I, could, I could go on on Jaws 2 for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so, John Borman, uh, we talked, he's still alive. We stopped discussing his movies in 1977. He's got a lot of other stuff. That, a you know, lot of a other lot stuff, other stuff yeah. That, and we talked about Expel- probably Excalibur. Excalibur yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hope and Glory was a movie about mm-hmm. a, a kid in England, sort of an autobiographical story of John's. I remember um, that movie vaguely. Up for a bunch of Oscars. I've not seen it, but I guess John uh, sort of based it on his own experience growing up in wartime England. So there you go. And then he also made a movie called Queen and Country in 2014, which was a sequel to that. Wow. And that's his most recent movie. No kidding. Yeah. Um, something well, good called, for him, man. Yeah, the Emerald Forest, which is a Powers Booth movie that's, I think, kind of a fantasy type thing. Um, don't I know it. Don't know it either. The General, which is a... a jo- oh, I didn't know this was a Borman movie. It's John Voight about an Irish mob boss in Dublin. I remember the. I remember that movie the being General, around. I don't know if Martin I ever saw Cahill, it. Who, I, uh, and then he, the Tailor of Panama, which is a John Le Carre story, Pierce Brosnan and Jeffrey Rush. I thought it was boring, actually, when I watched it, but that was mm. a long time ago. Mm. Uh, and then just earlier this year, John became Sir John... In, he received a night ship. <laughs> Good for this him. Last year. Good yeah, for him. There you go. Yeah. Well, we dig it, man. He's yeah. great. He's, He's really cool great. director. Yeah. Um, you know, these other movies, he may be a guy we get five more films out of sometime down we the line. We just might. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. 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 Cool. All right. Alrighty. That's five films from John Borman. And I'm uh, Matt Kennedy. And I'm Todd Edmondson. And we're going to see you next week That's or right. the <laughs> week <laughs> after. Yeah, get, 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 sometime. <laughs>